everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad and I am joined with Alex. Alex, how are you today? Hello. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty all right. Christmas holiday at the moment, so mostly chilling. Been postponing work that I've already had to do because I have some things to do in the holiday. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get that out of the way the first Monday so I properly have the holiday off. And obviously didn't do that so i'm gonna have to find a way to do it after christmas i am also on christmas break the benefits of you know working in the education system and i don't have to uh you know work right now i get the same breaks the kids get so it's nice and i get paid for it i'm doing nothing i'm getting paid it's so nice but we are joined this week by a wonderful special guest we have one of the admins on the mtga home discord server Goes by the Discord handle Nameless. Nameless, hello. How are you doing, Brad? I am wonderful. Now, please, please, your first name for for the for the listeners at home, so we don't just call you Nameless the entire time. Listeners at home, that's fair. I'm Robin. So, we have Alex, we have Robin, we have Brad, and we have Craig, who is watching and listening our every single move. Craig is our bot recording software that we have for the podcast so if you ever hear uh you know me in the background at the end of an episode that i forgot to edit out saying fuck off craig or something along those lines uh that's who we're yelling at (laughs) which uh i think that one is still up and i think craig immediately like sponsors part of this episode because last week the people who are very quick at listening like getting like a notification on spotify or something might have noticed that the episode initially said that we were going to talk about call time spoilers. And then we listened to the recording and a part of the call time spoilers was lost. So we didn't actually talk about call yeah. time at all last week. So Craig decided just to leave at one point. We started talking about spoilers, then he's like, nah, I'm out. And then we kind of realized a bit too late. And then he left like 15 minutes later. So we thought he was doing fine. But for 15 minutes, he was already like not recording. Yeah. And then it just messed up the recording. (laughs) Truly, truly unfortunate. But this week, we are going to actually talk about some of those spoilers that came out. And at the time of recording, we only had about, what, two spoilers come out that day. So this is nice that we get some extra stuff going on. And we'll go over those as well. Yeah. Otherwise, Alex, before we get into the spoilers, did anything of note happen this weekend when it came to the challenges and stuff like that for the Pioneer metagame? Um, I mean, real quick, who won on the weekend? Um, and it wasn't anything crazy. I'm sure it was like oops, all spells again. We've had two challenges, so on the 19th and the 20th, and those were won by uh, the 19th was won by Ors of Auras, and the 20th was actually won by straight up blue white control. Cool, just Teferi, Teferi, Opts, Azorius Charms, Sensors, Ooh. Supreme Verdicts, only two Supreme Verdict. But just straight up blue-white control. Aside from the fewer Supreme Verdicts, nothing special, just counter your stuff. Nice. Two in the entire 75. There's just two sweepers in the whole deck. Do they just have two in the 75, or do they have any in the sideboard? There is a settled wreckage, so I guess there's one settled too, so there's quote-unquote three sweepers. Jesus Christ. Does that speak to where Pioneers are right now with just the lack of aggro? Settle is kind of great against some decks. Oh, okay. That's cool. That all feels, it feels a lot nicer for like the oops matchup too. Yeah, you can kind of just have them drain you for 12. You probably gain some life at some point with absorbs. And then their entire, all their creatures are on the field and they're like, attack you. And you're like, nope. 
remember how we were talking about hoops how oops all spells is like very versatile and how they approach matchups every week and we would see them go like oh we need to hate out Leyline this week and they bring in things like reclamation sage and assassin's trophy and then next it's like oh we got to kill you know graft digger's cage and make sure that we can kind of get through that way and they always have a, a different way each week to kind of approach how people are hating them out so why not just as you know the the decks that's trying to hate out oops all spells just like run one ofs of like five different types of graveyard hate yeah just one of everything well i mean funnily enough so this one runs one settled wreckage it also runs one soul guide lantern oh and it runs a baneslayer angel and a lyra which i guess is also like well if they have like 12 creatures i don't think it matters but like in that sense it only runs two different hate cards but it kind of has that vibe right you could put like a soul guide lantern and a graph digger's gauge and a sinister and a, a settled wreckage and a cling to dust and yeah it's kind of a funny idea to just put one of each in because it's like what are you what are you gonna hate out <laughs> i got got by some of the record last night i think there's like enough yeah yeah just be like yo if you want to try and go big brain enough hate in the format too that it's it's not like you're relying on leyline because the thing with like leyline of the void is you got to have it in your opening hand for it to be any sort of use but i think there's plenty of graveyard hate that it's enough to not run leyline and just run a bunch of different oh yeah i i really really dislike leyline of the void it's probably the most overrated leyline because people are like oh yeah but you need to you need it against stuff like hogak and it's like yeah but your graveyard isn't your like graveyard opponent isn't going to win on turn one and it's terrible if it's only your opening hand and it makes people mulligan like terribly i've seen people mulligan away really good hands but it's like yeah but there's no leyline like yeah maybe there should be a better hate card in your deck so you can top deck it later Oh yeah, I don't. I don't have that thought process. Like, I, if I'm like, I'll because I have Leyline as a three of in my mono black vampires list on historic, not pioneer. Pioneer, I have Soul Guide Lantern, but in historic, I have Leyline, and it's like, if I open it in the opening hand, cool. But if I if I have a really good hand, otherwise, I'm like, yeah, I'm not pitching this. The only difference is I think the white Leyline is fine because getting that effect down late now it's obviously good against Thoughtseize initially. But like against this deck, you could run it if you see like a lot of settled wreckage because it actually targets a player. And that is like fine as like a top deck, right? Because you at one point you have all your creatures, then you play it so they can settle you and then you attack. And it's like that makes sense. But Leyline, if Leyline would empty their graveyard on ETB like how Rest in Peace does, I think Leyline of the Void would be fine. Fuck the white Leyline. You know why? Oh, I hate playing against it, but it is really good. Yeah, but. I hate playing against it because the only reason I'm even I'm even seeing it currently on historic is because of that stupid nine lives prison deck <laughs> with solemnity. Now, to be fair, if you get out Necromentia and you're like, take nine lives, bye. I, I did that. I did. I, I lost game one because they got me in the lock. Games two and three, I had opening hands with uh, Necromentia. In both games, I just turned three, got nine lives and they just scooped instantly doesn't necromantia target a player yes uh which they actually got the uh, ley line out turn two but i had uh feed the swarm that'll do it in my hand too so <laughs> or, or, i'm sorry not turn two but opening hand and then like turn two i feed the swarm the ley line and then turn three necromantia them <laughs> it felt so good i was like yes yes fuck this deck uh, which is another deck that doesn't see play in Pioneer. Again, we've kind of figured out why Pioneer has Reclamation, has Fire Invention, has Winota, has all these cards that are banned or suspended in Historic, where Historic is like picking out the scraps to try and find powerful things to do. You mean the enchantment, enchantment deck? 
Yeah, it's you, you mean that like why aren't we seeing mono white prison or something? Yeah, it's another deck that like you know it seems like it's, it a, could... it's a deck with enchantments and Teferi exists. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah, and yeah, and Teferi Teferi's banned historic. Yeah, because if you're like oh, but, or like there's effects like Teferi. I mean, Teferi just makes enchantments so much worse. Which is the one thing I like about Teferi because I play Grixis and I can't deal with enchantments very well. So if people don't play them as much because Teferi is good against them, then. Hooray for me. You gotta run Feed the Swarm. It's so nice not to see Experimental Frenzy. That's bad in Pioneer anyway. <laughs> it's not good. I mean, yes, but I mean, if, if you wouldn't see a card like... Because it's good against control decks generally, but not if they run Teferi, because then they just bounce it. So the fact that Teferi is there means people don't play those type of cards, which is good for me. Or Valakut. Valakut Exploration? The card's so bad. <laughs> I think the card's pretty good. It's so bad. My dumbass... Uh, that's not even me being a dumbass, it's just me being salty. Um, I have a playset of those from opening just packs of Zendikar on Arena. And I'm just like, I'm never going to fucking play this card. It's okay. It's horrible. That's it. It's bad. I think in the right deck, it's kind of good. <laughs> but I don't want to play that deck. Deck's bad. <laughs> it's a bad deck. I, I think it's a bad card. <laughs> I think it has the same problem of uh, Confounding Conundrum. Why? It works the opposite way. It punishes, it, it awards you for playing lands. Wait. <laughs> it's. It's bad because it's like the same spectrum of being bad, not in the sense of like what deck it goes in. It's bad in the sense of like on paper, it's, you know, it does one thing, but in practice, it's just like too slow or like doesn't even really make a difference for you. I'll build a deck around it one day and I'll show you. I just think it's it's bad. It's a bad card. I'll just kill you by the time you play it. Good for you. I'm glad you got that thing down. Ooh, you're you're getting an extra card exiled every single turn that you can possibly play. Proud of you. Really am. How's that one life feeling? I mean, drawing two cards per turn is actually pretty good in a red deck. So Yeah, but the, you're not seeing, uh, what's it called? Chandra's, uh, what's the artifact? The artifact, the Chandra artifact that lets you just cycle through cards and like double up Chandra abilities. We don't see, we don't see that played. I mean, no, because it costs mana to activate every time uh-huh as opposed to three mana you're done it's two mana and then one and one and one and one uh-huh which like starts adding up that's a bad card <laughs> sure <laughs> anyway talking about potentially good cards i suppose we'll start off with the the obvious includes in coldheim which is the finishing on the pathway cycle yeah which was very quickly announced i think because we already kind of knew so it's like, yeah, Pathways, good luck. Yeah, it was uh, spoiled by Mastodon. By Mastodon. Yeah. Super what, cool. What did you just say? Do you pronounce it Mastodon? Maybe. I didn't even pay attention to it. Mastodon. It is Mastodon, but... Huh. I heard Mastodon. I was like, is that just <laughs> is that just how the, how the Dutch say Mastodon? I mean, we would say it as Mastodon if you pronounce it Dutch, because the first... Okay, then that, that's fine. That's why, that's why I'm asking. The first word must would just be a, a mast like a ship. Which would be a mast in English, which is why it kind of makes sense. Anyway, uh, they spoiled the pathways, which are just like the Zendikar ones, absolutely gorgeous. But what type of decks do we think they go into? We were talking a little bit about before the cast, I don't know, Nameless. What's some decks you think are really going to benefit from? I think obviously having the blue-white one makes spirits a little friendlier and safer to play with. I've been looking at the the black-green one for elves. Uh, personally, it it's nice having less painful mana base and uh, the blue-green one for Merfolk as well. Just honestly being able to get these two color decks back up to a point where they're not mana confluence for uh, their mana feels nice. Yeah, playing, playing mana confluence in a two-mana deck is just not very fun. 
I mean, I, I've had pretty good success with both, um, especially elves in terms of its mana, and the mana base would be the same for Merfolk. But I do think they're just a nice include because they're, the opportunity cost is like close to zero, right? If your deck runs forests, it might as well run pathways because you could just play them as a non-basic forest. I mean, yeah, it's like not going to work with like Castle Garen Break and stuff, but who cares? Or a gingerbread cabin, I guess. <laughs> like that's the worst one. Brad's looking at me questionably. That that's the worst one too. You know, hey, you know what the it's the one that gives you a food. Yeah, yeah. You know what the best one in that cycle is? <laughs> if you're playing gingerbread cabin. Okay, best. Yeah, it, it's funny how gingerbread cabin and Mystic Sanctuary are in the same cycle. Right? Okay, I- ignoring Mystic Sanctuary because we know that one's obviously the best. Uh, do you know what the second best is? <laughs> Witch's cottage. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine always calls it Witch's cheese. And it took me a second to figure it out. Okay, real quick, quick, quick tandem. Alex, <laughs> Alex and Robin, we're going to get your, both of your opinions on cottage cheese, yay or nay. I'm going to be honest, I don't really, like, know it. I've probably, I've probably, like, seen it in dishes and stuff. It's like... I thought you were about to say, like, I'm going to be honest, I don't like cheese at all. I was about to slap you through the fucking mic. <laughs> I have no idea. No, no, you haven't. <laughs> It's it's not a cheese that you use in like a, a dish typically. <laughs> there's a reason you there's a reason you buy yogurt cups of them at the store over here in the US and like just eat it out of a fucking can basically or a plastic cup. I think you can put it as it, it looks similar in sub us. I confused it with clotted cream because it looks the same in substance pretty much. Yeah, the the texture is not. Robin, what is your opinion on cottage cheese? I'm a fan of it. I think it's I think it's great. I think it's always good to good to have around. <laughs> Are you a savory or sweet person when it comes to cottage cheese? Like you, you do fruit and shit and sugar, or do you like fucking like do salt and pepper? Just like it straight up, man. I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think it needs anything to it. If I were, it would be savory, but I don't think it needs anything. Is this like just a debate in the state? You are, you two aren't the first people I've heard talk about this, and I'm like, how, <laughs> how do you people have such strong opinions on? Because I don't need oatmeal either. Oh, it's it's a divisive. It's like oatmeal. Not an oatmeal person at all. Oh my god. God. Cottage cheese is fucking disgusting. I would rather I would rather take gravy and like put blue cheese crumbles into the gravy and eat that than cottage cheese. Yeah, now you brought up oatmeal and I quickly Google what was that? Oh god, oatmeal is fucking disgusting, dude. It's not good. I'm with you. I'm not a fan of oatmeal. I think I've eaten it once, but my mo- my main experience with oatmeal is that a friend of mine. So this is like like when we were like ten or something. A friend of mine, his mom, always had him eat oatmeal, but he didn't because he hated it. So every time I would go to his house, like on his desk would still be his like bowl of oatmeal from the morning that his mom got him, which he didn't eat. And it would have like, it turned sort of like hard, right? Because it'd been there for like 12 hours. So it's thinking like, uh, I think if you turn around that bowl, nothing happens. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's like the blizzard from DQ. You get to fucking flip upside down. But here's your oatmeal. It doesn't <laughs> Dude, capitalism is so fucking stupid because if they don't do the flippy thing with your blizzard at DQ, you can get it for free. I've never, I don't experience this either. We don't have that over here. Okay, well, imagine it's it's a thicker McFlurry and they flip it upside down to show that it doesn't like drip. Yeah, but I find it such a weird concept because I'm pretty sure in the Netherlands, if someone would want to pass you food and first like flips it upside down, 
the only response you'd get, like, are you fucking not? Because it might fall out. Like, that's the only response you'd get if you did it here. The whole point, the whole shtick of it is the fact that it doesn't fall out. Yeah, but mode like a McFlurry doesn't either. So why do I need a thicker McFlurry to be like, oh, this doesn't fall out? It's like, well, yes, of course. Like, of course it's not going to fall out. That's the point. It's marketable. That's why it's to the point where you get it for free if they don't do it. If if you guys have construction work done and like you have like a concrete floor and it's finally set, do they walk in, stomp on the floor and be like, look, it doesn't break. And I'm like, yes, that's my expectation. Thank you. You've met the minimum requirements. Okay, yeah, but people love playing <laughs> with their fucking food. <laughs> God. God. It's also like, why is it part of the experience to probably have a depressed, underpaid person hold your ice cream upside down? Like, why is that part of the experience? <laughs> because, because their sadness is a, is a... So basically, in that moment of they're just like, I want to die because they're hungover as shit, working the night shift, fucking flipping over this, uh, this blizzard towards you. It's this transition of power. It's this handing off of this little golden trinket of this sugary, tasty treat from sad person to okay person. God, I know you guys have had a rough four years, but is, is this is where you guys get your satisfaction now? Like the last four years have been so rough that you people are like, oh, the only joy I get in life is if someone holds an ice cream down and then I take it from them. Hey, look, I don't need you to attack me like that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that you're saying it, but you're right. You're 100% <laughs> right. I'll, I'll go to, sometimes I'll go to DQ just to get that flip. Just to get the flip. Oh, and, and sometimes you got to get the, uh, the special blizzards that have the cores that are impossible to eat because there's like this. Like imagine if someone took like a tube of cookie dough, right? And just cut it and just slammed it in the cup and put blizzard ice cream around it. And it's like, here you go. And it's still fucking frozen. And you're like, you you get this plastic spoon, you're stabbing it. You're like, this won't fucking break. So you eat the ice cream around it until this thing thaws enough where you can fucking finally eat it. It takes like an hour for it to thaw. And that's one of the best selling types of blizzards. These inedible things for the first hour that you consume it. Oh my god it's quite the experience over there right to go to a fast food place yeah it's, we every every restaurant or fast food place for the most part has some kind of has a thing like has their has their own like gimmick yeah like uh like hooters and stuff like that and like all the the clones of hooters with like you know treating women as objects that that's always a, a good old american pastime it's just like do you know kfc yeah what about if we added boobs to it hell yeah and and that's like their whole concept right it's just KFC with boobs. I mean, I, I'll, I, I think that's a, a very, very de- steep generalization of the food quality. I don't like. I mean, I think Buffalo Wings. I have never been to a Hooters, so we don't have Hooters here. I've never been, but I don't know. That's what it seems like. OK, it's it's Buffalo Wings. It's it's Buffalo Wings. That's their thing. It's wings. Do you, do you have fucking wings over there? Good sir. Well, I mean, good Dutch man. Well, we have wings here, but we also don't have buffalo wild wings or something here. Like we have wings. I know what. Okay. Like, food wings. Bitch, are, I'm, not, but... I'm not asking about buffalo wild wings. I'm asking about the type of wings called buffalo wings that originated in Buffalo, New York. <laughs> That's why they're called buffalo wings. It's a type of sauce. It's a vinegar, um, like spice butter sauce. Basically, <laughs> it's vinegar, butter, and like spices. I'm sure, I've eaten it. At, I'm sure I've eaten it at one point in it's, my life. It's orange. It's an orange sauce. It's delicious. Hooters, uh, their original buffalo sauce is like super buttery, though. It's like drinking butter with a little bit of spice. So it's like not 
not my favorite, but like whatever. B Dubs has some has some good one. That's it's basically what it is. The original. If you look at the fat content on the back of that label, oh my god. Also, Alex, I am so sorry. I have been cussing so much this episode. You have so much to edit and bleep out. <laughs> I'm gonna try and tone it down. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we go on tangents. I, I get I get emotional and worked up over over fucking blizzards. You get worked up about American fast food. Yeah, it does sound like quite the experience. Like here we just have like every fast food place just feels the same with a different logo, but like they don't have like their shtick. Yeah, we we got shticks because you know that's that's how you bring yourself ahead of someone else in this uh, type of uh, society, as opposed to having better food. So. Have you ever heard of A and W? It's like come to like come to our place. Our food is just straight up better. It's like kind of a marketing campaign that doesn't work, I guess. You ever heard of A and W? Um, by name, uh, like the A and W root beer, root beer. Not really by name, but that's about it. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. You, you guys, you guys don't even have like A and W. Are you don't you have root beer? Because it's uh, have you? I tried to look it up. An A M A M W. If I Google it here, what? no, no, A N A and like the like the symbol for and. Oh, A and. I was like, I'm, I was about to say, I was getting an insurance company for your boat. Yeah. No, an A and W over here is no A and W, but it's the and symbol. Oh, the, the, the cursive thingy. A ampersand W. Oh. No, I've never seen this. Okay, so they have they're a root beer company. They also have a restaurant. Typically, they're conjoined with a Long John Silver's. <laughs> it's one of those. Also, do you have that over there, Alex, where you have conjoined fast food restaurants where it's like one building, but it's two completely separate brands that should not go together? Like KFC and Taco Bell is a big one for over here or like uh, or like a Taco Bell and like Pizza Hut. Not really, no. Okay, well, this one is usually A&W and Long John Silver's. A&W, years and years ago, I think back in the 90s or like early 2000s, you, are you familiar with the Quarter Pounder? Yes. From McDonald's? Okay. A&W decided to come out with like a, um, essentially, it's, it's, about a, it's almost like a half pounder, I think. Um, it was like literally like, um, I can't remember exactly what measurement they used, but I remember it was bigger than the, the, uh, the Quarter Pounder. God, I remember this. They had a horrible marketing campaign for it because the average person in the U.S. was like, why would I pay the same amount for like it was the same price as the quarter pounder is supposed to compete with it. Be like, oh, ours is bigger and better. Well, people don't understand fucking fractions. So they're like, but three out of four. Or, I'm sorry. Uh, one out of four is, you know, more than the measurement that they were using for fucking. Um, yeah, it was it was one out of two or whatever. Half like a half pounder, basically, versus a quarter pounder. And they're like, yeah. And they were like, a quarter is more than half? Yeah, because they saw the number was bigger. They saw the number was bigger. Wow. Like It sounds like a joke, but it's not. This almost sounds like it would be a ploy from, like, what is it, like the, the part of the government that's about education. And they set this up, and they're like, just to illustrate how bad it is. <laughs> it was the third pound. That is crazy. Yeah, it's, it honestly sounds like a joke. I do remember a, a campaign from... I think it was from Burger King, where they had a lot of people called Ronald McDonald. They just found like as many people called Ronald McDonald as possible and had them review their menu. So on their site, there were like a lot of reviews, like four out of five, really loved it. And it was signed Ronald McDonald. And 
because they they Ronald McDonald is just a name. So McDonald's couldn't do anything about it because no, these people are actually just called Ronald McDonald. <laughs> okay, so I, I I got the actual story up. So more than half the participants and the focus groups questioned the price of the burger. Why, they asked, should we pay the same amount for a third of a pound of meat as we do for a quarter pound of meat at McDonald's? You're overcharging us. People thought a third of a pound was less than a quarter of a pound because, after all, three is less than four. And then this is my favorite part. Not understanding that a a fourth is actually smaller than a third, many customers eschewed the uh, better-tasting burger in favor of the one they thought was a better deal. According to Tubman, A&W recalibrated their marketing saying, and I quote, the customer, regardless of his or her proficiency with fractions, is always right. (laughs) That is (laughs) amazing. Just the fucking clap back. And that's another bleep. But yeah, you dumb fucks. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right, but we've gone on a tangent about fast food and we only talked about the pathways, which we thought was a quick cover. Yeah, it was. That's why we had time to talk about fast food. In recap. The fast lands are really good ways to help aggro to help specific archetypes. Pathways, not fast lands. I think the problem with a with a lot of the ones uh, we've um, discussed, you brought up nameless like elves and uh, merfolk. I think, especially with the pathways, like the mana bases of these decks are like pretty much perfect now. If you're playing this aggro deck, you've got your fast land. Um, at least these decks in specific, they have their fast land, they have their pain land, they have their shock land, they have their pathway. Uh, you've got unclaimed territory if need be. Like you really like couldn't have better mana at this point for a two-color aggro deck that is especially within a tribe. So now it's just going to be a matter of power level of these cards. And I know from experience, Merfolk at the moment is effectively Ixalan block constructed, so it's not very good. Elves, I have had a similar experience with, where it's really gonna, it really just misses a few pieces, especially because I also play modern elves, and the step down from modern elves to pioneer elves is crazy. <laughs> Significant. Like Marwyn is definitely not Arcturid. Modern elves feels so nice to play. Like I love playing modern elves. It plays so well and so quick and so explosive. And then I play mo- pioneer elves and I go turn them on Lanowar elf. And in my head, I'm like, please don't kill it. Please don't kill it. Please, I'm going to be so slow if you kill it. Just, just please, please keep it alive. <laughs> yeah, if the, if the dork goes, the the deck fails because it really needs like. And, and Marwyn is no elvish arc druid. Oh, I don't even run Marwyn in mine. I run Rishkar. Rishkar is fun. I like Marwyn just for like heavy mana generation, but I'm also running like one fierce empath and one end raise forerunners because. Are good. Yeah, I, w- I was experimenting with that, but I wasn't a particularly great fan of it. I did like Decimator of the Provinces a little bit more than uh, Forerunner. Mostly because of the speed. Comes out a little bit quicker. But I'm sure you have your elf list you're brewing. I have my elf list, which spoiler alert, there seems to be an elf theme. In uh, It's in one of the theme boosters, and one of the Planeswalkers is an elf. So I assume it's going to be translating into the set. And like, unlike in Theros, where some of the theme boosters themes, we'll get into them in a moment, weren't actually translated into the set. I think there we had like Minotaurs with like Death Bellow, Warcry, but there wasn't really a Minotaur theme in the set. Um, these theme boosters have the same vibe, where there's a lot of different themes in it, and probably not all of them are going to make it into the set, but Elves definitely is. I'm excited to see what Elves we're getting, because... 
I mean, there's one in the theme. There's a few in the theme boosters. We'll touch on them. I'm not particularly happy about them, but I assume the theme boosters' power level is a little bit lower, and the cards are a little bit like jankier, over the toppy, like really like. As long as it fits the archetype, we're happy with it, and I hope the ones in the set are going to be of a little bit higher power level. But getting into the cards, I suppose we'll go into. We'll talk about the actual about the pathways, the actual cards that are in the set first, and then we will touch on the theme boosters because the cards that are actually in the set are generally a little bit more exciting. Already pointed out, aside from a few, generally a little bit more powerful. So the first one we'll get into is the first one that was spoiled, which is Showdown of the Skulls. So it's a saga. Sagas are back. Two red white, chapter one. Exile the top four cards of your library. Until the end of your next turn, you may play these cards. We've seen this effect before, but this one is quite a large one. And then chapter two and three are both the same. Whenever you cast a spell this turn, put a 1-1 counter on target creature you control. Now, Nameless, what do you think of this card? What type of decks are you going to expect to see this in, if in any? Like this, I feel like it fits in more of like a feather or a prowess list. I mean, for me, the the fact that it needs... It feels like it works well with both, like, instant and sorceries, just, like, that, that the speed of that, and also creatures. Like, it needs to have both of those. I think it really would... It, it feels like it's mostly fitting in, like, a Feather deck. But it's also it's also super slow, and I'm not sure, you know, Feather or Prowess lists are necessarily going to want this. I mean, I think it would be interesting for a more grindy deck, but, again, I don't know where... I don't know where that is in Pioneer. I don't know where the where the list for it is, or what it would look like in this case. Yeah, that was a similar problem I had looking at this card, where I'm like, this looks like the type of card you want to have in a deck full of one and two mana spells, but are you going to up your land count to play this four mana spell? Or are you just going to run like a very low number? Or are you just going to accept the fact that this is something going to strand in your hand with you having two lands? Like, it felt like it, that it sort of has like a bit of an identity crisis in that way. What do you think, Brad? I am much higher on this card than you guys were and are. Um, so when this card was originally spoiled last week, we actually did talk about it on the cast, like Alex mentioned earlier, where Craig was just like, nah, fam, we're going to dip out. Um, and uh, over the last week, I've gotten the options to uh, kind of reevaluate how I feel about the card. I think it's much better than we think. Um, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see. Now, Alex, you say you want to see this kind of card in a deck that has a lot more one to two drop kind of things to, uh, to go on to make, you know, get extra value out of getting those four cards exiled on your first bit. What if I were to tell you that that's very possible to do without needing to up your land count so drastically? If you just take a look at, let's say, hey, hey Alex, real quick, what's what's a deck that's popped up a lot more recently uh, in Pioneer that we've talked about a couple of times? Mono red aggro. Mono red aggro. Now, if you were to take mono red aggro in the same vein and convert it to Boros, but not Boros burn, but the same type of curve that mono red aggro, mono red aggro has, it's running currently 20 lands in the top side of three mana with Bone Crusher Giant, Rampage of Ferocidon, uh, and like even Goblin Chain Roller on the side, as well as uh, Shadow Torch Defiance on the side. So they're already potentially topping out at four mana. Let's say you up your lands to what? 21. 22 and you only run two of these just at the top end in your main i think that's very reasonable um you're already gonna pretty consistently get to at least three mana to get your three drops um 
that's already a home I can see this going into. Uh, just a mono red type thing that's not Luris based, but in Boros to kind of up your thing up. Or uh, Featherless Feather type of thing as well. Now, another option that I see this being much more likely that I haven't seen a single person talk about. Jeskai Control with Yorian. I think this card, like, who cares about the second the second parts? Like, I mean, sure, like, you can make your Yorian bigger, which is cool, nice value. But the fact that you can play this, exile the top four, go ahead and on turn five, play Yorian, exile that, and I'm um, assuming your Omen of the Sea, your, um, the Omen that makes uh, one ones if you're going into the Transmogrify Luka kind of route, and then bring them all back, and you get all the value from Yorian still, and then you start just making your creatures bigger with the counters uh, on it. Seems super unnecessary. Why is it? For the value. Like, Jeskar Yorion already generates such a ridiculous amount of value. I, I don't think you need a card that does more of that. And especially because it has the top cards, it exiles them. You already got, like, Omen of the Sea, Teferi, Elspeth Conquers Death. If you get into, like, the loop with... Um, what was it Charming Prince? Mm-hmm. You're already like you're generating so much value. I don't see why you need the additional value of this. I, th- I think it is an, an interesting deck to try it in, and it's something I didn't think of at all. So I I can see where you're coming from. I just think it's too greedy. I don't think you need this. Like it works in concept. I don't think you need it in practice. Fair. I think definitely in the type of. Uh luca type deck or whatever then i i can more be more agreeing with you but i think in a more traditional just guy kind of fires list i can see this card being pretty good especially with fires of invention just be like yeah exile top four and then you can bounce fires and give four stuff really after fires coming down after fires coming down i can definitely see this being nice because the the, the other challenge is is it's four mana, so you're you're gonna have to. It's gonna be a later game play when you have the mana to play more off it, so you can get value off both turns instead of just getting maybe one or two cards off it on your next turn. And if you look at the other things in that slot, like if it's it, it's in the four mana slot, if you're looking at a traditional like Luka type deck, right? You have Transmogrify and Fires and in, in the four drop slot and Supreme Verdict, and that's the other thing is like. With the control decks, they want to be sweeping on turn four. It's interesting to look at, and I think that's definitely something I didn't consider in the Jeskai control list. But again, I'm not sure there's a slot for it, I guess, is my, my... Like, even though you're an 80-card deck, if Yorion somehow said that you had to go up to a 100-card deck, I could see this at one point getting in, but I feel like this is just like your 85th card, which is why you don't put it in. I don't think you should look at this card in the same vein as uh, being a four drop. Because, like, I think that's how you're... We, we get into this weird habit as Magic players whenever we see a card and we always eva- value it based on what does it do on curve, right? But look at cards that we have in the game already. Tyros Tracker, for example. Best four drop in the game, right? Because it's, it's, you, 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 you play it on turn four. You don't play it on turn three. You want to play it on turn four and then head a land to make a clue to get value out of it. Yeah, but Tireless Tracker sees like almost no play at the moment because it's not fast enough. That's why we evaluate it. Like, I, I think you evaluate four drops and stuff on curve because what else is going to be? Is this a five drop? Is this a six drop? Like, look at the cards it competes with 
it's just extra value in the deck. This is a card that helps you refuel your hand, uh, similar to Escape of the Wilds. Escape of the Wilds doesn't always get played on curve on turn five, or not necessarily turn five because they're ramping and stuff like that, but it doesn't always get played on curve at the earliest you can possibly play it in Four Color Omnath, for example. You play it in the deck because it's a great value card that you don't care about when you play it because you have so many other things to do. You said it yourself, Alex. Yorian decks are already one of the best decks at executing and taking advantage of value cards and value engines. So why would you not want to have a little extra value on top, not as a four of, not even as a three of, but maybe just a two of, or just as a one of, just to try it out, to get extra value the same way that Escape of the Wilds does it, just it doesn't have to be on curve. It's because you already have enough value. The only way I can see this come up, which I guess is a thing to keep in mind, is if we somehow end up in like this Yorion Grindfest meta, then this is like the card you can squeeze in your deck to outgrind the other Yorion decks. So if we ever get into a meta like that, this is like the, the greedier card, like how the Teamer Omnath, well, the four-color Omnath styles deck at one point started running like more than one copy of a card, like Genesis Ultimatum, where we saw like the part the Water Veil uh, lists, which were mm-hmm. really like trying to be like, like part of Water Veil and more was it Genesis Ultimatum? Like, these are the cards I'm going to use to go even bigger than my opponent in the mirror. And I guess this is where this card could see play. Now, I do want to touch on the other deck you wanted to see it in, uh, especially the mono-red aggro going into a Boros style with, like, a similar type of deck. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a hard disagree for me, because I can name probably, like, five four drops that are better. Like we've got four mana, we've got Chandra Torch of Defiance, Hazaret, Torbran, probably even Experimental Frenzy to an extent. I think even War of the Spark Chandra is better than this card for uh, Mono Red. I disagree in the sense that like like you okay like Chandra Chandra is not a card that you you bring in main typically. It's a sideboard card. This would be a value card that you main deck um, and. But why do you want a value card here on a red deck? Just get him dead. Your value card is Bombat Courier. Light of the Stage is just a significantly better version of this, is is where I'm at with it. Yeah, because it's one mana. It's and if you in in a panic you cast it for three and you only get two spells, sure. But like this could be light up the stage one mana. This is four. Like I just don't want to stumble with this card. If you're mana screwed, but you're staring down when I get my fourth land, I'm going to play this Hazard and I'm going to beat the crap out of my opponent with it. Like, Or I'm going to play this Torbran, and my opponent just dies. And I don't see that with this card. Like, I don't look at this and be like, oh yeah, if I get my, four, my red drop and I stumble a little bit, but then when I hit this, I draw four extra cards. <laughs> it, it doesn't excite me. I think it's supposed to help fix an issue that these kind of decks typically have is you know you if you run into some roadblocks kind of thing and you kind of start to fizzle out um this gives you reach in some certain matchups because like let's say you know you're starting to just kind of like not be able to do anything you've kind of blown out your entire hand and your opponent has solid blockers in front of you like a sylvan character things like that just keeping you from you know playing the game or uh the the wall that gets made off of um uh, Miletus, uh yeah so like stuff like that and then you go ahead and hit, you know, your burn spells off the top, like your shocks, your wild slashes, your lightning strikes, wizard's lightning. If you're playing in the wizard's package, 
And then every time you cast those now, going face, you also grow your creatures to help get over the top of these roadblocks. Or in the sense that if you are in a position where you're top decking this card, you at least have the chance to kind of keep going and refill your hand and start pulling ahead of your opponent and get that extra reach to burn them out in general. Because sometimes you're in a position where you need a card and they're sitting at three or four life and you can't just top deck burn spells. It doesn't always work. If you can just top deck this card, exile top four, and you get two or three burn spells in that and you pull ahead that way, It give, this card is about giving you reach in the late game to help put you over the top of other decks uh, that you normally can't get over the top of. Now, I, I hate sounding like a broken record because I've said this so many times in the past already. If you said this in 2018, I would have fully agreed with you. Mm-hmm. Because, But now, you're like, yeah, but I can use this to go over the top of my opponent. It's like, your opponent's playing Uro and Omnath. You need to play seven of these before you go over the top of them. Like, if you don't get them dead, you're not going to go over them. You, you can't have a Boros aggro deck and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to play this card to go over Niftalite. It's like, no, you're not. Because their draw engine is attached to a 6-6. Six, six. <laughs> oh my god, Niftalite can play this. Niftalite can play this. And they wouldn't because it's bad. And so good Omnath. Omnath can even play this. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that, that's the thing. Like, this is 4 mana. Omnath is 4 mana. Like, mm-hmm. and this would be the type of card that you bring in against a style of deck that Omnath, that an Omnath deck is, to go over them, which which you would have done historically. But these cards like Omnath have gotten so crazy that I feel like an, a more aggro style deck cannot have a game plan anymore that involves this card. Like, you cannot have this sideboard game plan of, oh, I'll bring in some value and then go over them. It's like, it never works. That's why you've got the Chandra. You know, play Chandra, kill Omnath, and now I might be able to get some extra value out of my Chandra, for example. I think the main one I have against this Chandra. I think Chandra Torch of Defiance is much better than this. I, I agree with you in the sense that it's just an overall better card. Um, but actually, have we even seen a four drop Planeswalker as good as Chandra? I don't think so. Since it came out? Uh, five. Just a four drop. Yeah, Vivian Arcbo Ranger, Spiffing Mono Green. I think it hasn't seen a lot of play. Karn, and I think Liliana Waker of the Dead is actually an incredibly powerful card, standalone. Oh, and Karn, great creator. Yeah. Uh, oh, I should get those two. Dude, I love. Thank you for reminding me. I need to buy my playset. It's still like two bucks. It's still cheap as hell. If Chandra wasn't screwed over by the Planeswalker redirection rule uh, that we've talked about in the past, I think Chandra would still be one of the premier four mana Planeswalkers. I think that redirection rule is actually kind of big to see, to for her to see play in different styles of deck. Like now she's generally boiled down to it's your value card out of an aggro deck. And I feel like when it was the Planeswalker to attack other Planeswalkers, it was a card that could see value in or play in different styles of deck than just mono red aggro. I mean, at the time, I remember people almost comparing her to Jace the Mind Sculptor when it came out. Like, this is like this is like the new Jace the Mind Sculptor style of powerful card. Now, I mean, in a, in a format like Pioneer, I could actually like almost still see that because we don't fetch that much. So Jace the Mind Sculptor isn't that great of a card. But like, I mean, I would have loved to I would love to see Jace and Pi- Jace the Mind Sculptor Pioneer. I've never been able to cast the card. Yeah. And I just, I just want to do it. I just want to play Jace and be like, yeah, hell yeah, brainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> but 
four mana brainstorm. I cast so many brainstorms in Commander. I love playing with that card. It's in like more decks than it should be. And I like Cyclonic Rift. Ooh. Yeah, it is. Uh, she is two dollars. Um, she is two dollars and eighty-one cents. Is the market price on cool. TCG? I will. I will be buying my playset then. But moving on to the next card before you get stuck way too long on four mana value cards. Let's talk about a two mana value card, which also makes you spend four mana before it does anything. And it's Pyre of Heroes. It's an artifact for two mana. And it says two tap. Sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrificed creature and has converted mana cost equal to one plus that creature's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. Activate his ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. So you play a creature. Let's say I have a one mana elf and I pay two mana and sack this elf. Now I get to search my library for a two mana elf, put it straight into play. That that's what this card does. Like quickly. Some people might immediately be like, oh my god, this is birthing pod. Yeah, and it's it's tribal birthing pod. Uh, I've heard people say like this card should be nicknamed Tripod, which I thought was a pretty cool nickname. But like that that's that's what it is. It's it's birthing pod in a sense fixed. I love this card. This is a card that everyone's going to be trying to figure out how to break for the next few weeks leading up to uh, Kaldheim, and uh, everyone's going to realize about a week after Kaldheim releases, especially when we have the early access stream for streamers and things like that. The restriction is bad. The uh, it, it's not it's not birthing pod. It, it's not the same in any way, shape, or form. I will play against it on Arena at some point in some crazy jank pile. I just don't have the way to get to happen. It's going to have its time. The curve is awkward. It it doesn't seem to slot in that this can be. Uh, that's your best option. And I've I've heard some people say, "Ooh, goblins in a stork," and I'm like, "Why would you ever do that? Like that just seems like a horrible idea." Seems like a very bad way to get your muxes out on turn twelve. Yeah, what are you going to do? You're going to are you going to start running Siege Game Commander in your Goblins deck so you can <laughs> so you can hit this five drop to go into Muxus? That seems like a horrible idea. So no, uh, let's let's not do that. This because um, they're like, oh yeah, you can chain this two mana Nymph into this three mana Changeling into this four mana Construct. <laughs> yeah, this this card is going to be overhyped. Um, I'm sure it'll do something in CEDH because cards like this always break a format like that outside of that though what do you think nameless are you fooled like this like you don't need that yeah yeah (laughs) on turn 12 yeah yeah it it is a bad card don't (laughs) let anyone else fool you so i've i i don't i don't like this as much i think the the discussion i've seen around it involves like vintage shops and playing like construct tribal like pyre of heroes like and it actually seems kind of interesting like working your way from like arcbound ravager or whatever all the way up to you know worm coil engine but you know it's it's shops like if you really want to play worm coil you can play it on turn two but like again like i don't see this any i don't see this realistically anywhere in even even like a even modern but like i don't i don't see this being functional anywhere besides that maybe well, like again, you said maybe maybe like EDH stuff, but yeah, yeah. like I I think um, I think the main point is you, I don't think you want to be able to like combo off with this. I was actually last week on the lost recording. I mentioned construct tribal two because you can have like a one mana construct and you sack it and you go into like 
uh, is it corridor monitor from Eldrain, the construct that untaps, and then you untap it, and then you sec that, and you find like a scrap trawler, and you could sort of like set off like the sort of like value idea, and then you've got some artifact synergies. Maybe you can find a way to discount your artifacts or make its activated ability only one, or like. I think there's something cute to be done with this. I like this card a lot because it's really the type of card you can like fiddle around with and find like a cool way to break it. But I I don't see like Pyre of Heroes combo being a thing, especially because the two mana, right? Because Birthing Pod is one mana and two life to activate as opposed to two mana. And this card is four mana before you get anything out of it. My My issue with this card is because the curve is so awkward to play on turn two and then two to activate it. So like you're at best on curve, turning a one drop into a two drop. Um, it It's just not as good in that regard. And I'd rather, even though this can hit board earlier and then can avoid counter spells because there's not a whole lot of stifle effects running around in Pioneer, um, I'd still rather play some kind of Neoform type combo deck if that's what you're going for. Like again, Neoform can get and Vanifar. Yeah, and Vanifar. But Vanifar Vanifar is already bad on its own. So like Van- Vanifar is up you could go into like the Tower Scout, I think it is. For, you could actually I think even literally in historic, you can set up combos where if you untap with Vanifar, you instantly win the game. Like starting from basically yeah. anything. Well, I mean, there you can untap and play Neoform in Historic right now and instantly win the game because there's that combo deck yeah okay but like that this deck would actually translate to pioneer yes because this doesn't have the dual caster mage because that card is dumb <laughs> and then you go into what is it called like tuck tuck rubble fort or something i think it's a really funny name the o3 that gives you haste oh oh that that's what they end the dual caster combo yeah with. no they they end it with combat celebrant with both but the, the the rubble fort gives it haste so you can find your last two neoform triggers give it give everything haste and then end it with like you can yeah. yeah, yeah, it's three drop tuck tuck rubble fort, and it gets creatures you control have haste. Yeah, and the very last thing you get is uh, is combat sovereign. Yeah, because then you're just like, I'm gonna get another combat, even though you don't need it. Because dealing 24 damage, yeah, because dealing 24 damage isn't good enough. I need it to be 48. I ran combat sovereign in my standard red deck, uh, for the Amaket. Got Pharaoh's gift? No, no, I just I just played mono red, and I was like, combat sovereign has red for my top end, it was great beautiful made me so happy but i mean besides reminiscing over uh, some classic standard decks again this this card's bad um it'll make some really great top five channel fireball uh recap whatever videos i'm sure when you get a streamer <laughs> that finally gets it to work when they spent six hours streaming for for everybody making this deck playing it and then one match out of the 99 that they played they finally get it to go off with like their arcane adaptation bs whatever good for them it's going to be cool to see those videos but as far as constructed playable and actually being a good deck no 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 no, no. so the next card so we're gonna again skip over some of the spoilers from the day afterwards because those are the theme boosters so we'll get to that going to the next card is actually going to be in the set and it is this sets iteration of gods. And the first one, at least, we see maybe it's the only one, considering the backside. We'll get into that for a little bit. Halvar, God of Battle. Spoiled by uh, Amon Amart, which is a fantastic band. Four mana for a 4-4 legendary creature, God. Can I already say that I'm disappointed that this isn't a warrior god? Uh, 
Have there ever been subtype gods? Besides, uh, there is there is zombie gods from the Eternals, and then there is the boar god from that cycle too. Other than that, have we ever seen subtype gods? I don't know, but I think in the set and like going with Zendikar, there should have been a warrior. Uh, he's literally called God of Battle. Come on. Uh, anyway, uh, creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped have double strike. At the beginning of each combat, you may attach target aura or equipment attached to a creature you control to target creature you control. So you don't get to like pick up your Colossus Hammer for free, but you can swap equipments from one creature to another, which I think is a really cool effect. But what's also cool about this card, it has a backside. So it's a double-faced card, so the front side is your 4-mana 4-4 four, four big boy, and the backside is Sword of the Realms, which is a 2-mana equipment, only 1 on a white, um, also legendary. Equipped creature gets plus 2, plus 0, and has Vigilance. Whenever equipped creature dies, return it to its owner's hand, and it equip is 1 on a white. I love this in design. I think it's a very cool design. Uh, it's a cool way to go around being less restrictive by being a legend. Because you can kind of play two before it's actually a problem, rather than having being stuck with one, because you've got the creature and the weapon. But that's also like immediately the main problem I have with it, is that it feels like both sides are mediocre. Like, I don't feel like, oh, I really want to play this god, but if I draw the second, I get the value with the weapon. But now it's like, I kind of don't want to play either. That's kind of the problem I have. It doesn't have the traditional outlook of gods where it's like oh at the very least i get this really hard to deal with creature this powerful creature yeah it's not really that um it's cool i agree with you the design is awesome i love the ability to kind of pseudo get around the legend rule kind of but yeah it's it's fine uh, it's four, 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 four. it's you know i feel like generally you play this card for the sword but once you already have a sword you get the four four because the sword is actually pretty good. Yeah. Right? Plus 2 plus 0 in Vigilance is great. But when the creature dies, it goes back to your hand. I could even see something with, like, a creature that sacrifices itself for an effect, right? Like, now this is just the first one I think of. This is not the best way to do it. But what are we thinking of, like, our good old friend Steve? Sakura Tribe Scout? Sakura Tribe Elder, sorry. And you play 2 mana, player Steve, slap this equipment on it, sack Steve, comes back to your hand. Right, it's four mana for a rampant growth that puts itself back in your hand. And that's obviously like a very low floor because it's a well, very low ceiling. It's like, cool, I pay four mana for a rampant growth every turn. But like, I can see fun things happening with this. What if there's a creature that comes in, and when it comes in, it immediately grabs an equipment, and then you find a way to sack it. Thinking of there is a troll warrior or something from Oath of the Gatewatch that says all equip costs to this creature are zero. So this is a 3-mana three 3-2. Three what if you play 3-mana, play this... Tool's Tollkeeper, if I remember correctly. Yes, thank you. You play that creature, slap this equipment on it, and you have some sort of fling effect. Right now it's like 3-mana, deal 5 damage with a fling effect. Maybe you have like a fling effect on a body, and every turn you can just dome your... And like, if you can squeeze that into a deck that already works, I think there's a lot of cool synergies with this. But what do you think, Nameless? I mean... I, I think you're right here. I think there's definitely like cute stuff that um, we can do with it, but realistically, like I, I'm not. I, I don't see the value without you know 
something like uh, something that'll directly equip it. Like I, I like Toll Collector with it, and I think being able to like fling stuff is 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 fun, and it, I think it's cute. But I, again, I don't think it's necessarily. Yeah, I can I can agree with you on uh on that. The, I'm bummed this isn't a warrior, really, because I'm thinking like warriors care about equipments, and if you're playing a warrior aggro deck or something, I could see the equipment being nice. The warrior deck, at least. It seems to be with the the strike card. I had it in my top ten from Zendikar that equips an equipment for free. We've got the troll. We've got Sigarda's aid, and they sort of have this like we can cheat on equipment idea. But then at the end of the game, you would rather play a four four than an extra equipment if you already got like two or three. So then this card would fit in really well. But now that it's not a warrior, it doesn't have the warrior synergies for being equipped or the extra ways to cheat on the equip cost by being a warrior. And I think that kind of makes it so the card kind of falls a bit flat. Now I don't see a home for it. If this was a warrior god, I, I could immediately see a home for it. Now I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you feel even worse if you're a uh, Stoneforge Mystic player in Modern because it's not the sword first and then the god on the back. So you can't even tutor it out with uh, Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. So like that feels... It, it, it sucks because it's a, it's a fairly good equipment. Before we move on to the next spoiler, though, I do want to share something with Alex. There are two promos. I just sent them to you. I'm going to send them to Nameless as well. The judge promos have been spoiled today, a few hours ago. It is Gitrog, uh, the uh, the land boy. Exciting. Big boy. Hypnotoad. Yeah, and then Nicol Bolas, the Ravenger. And let me tell you, Nicol Bolas is looking jacked as fuck. But I'm also worried, uh, thinking, what does the backside look like? Because this is a two-faced card. And I'll be honest, the backside of Nicol Bolas, the Ravenger, is by far my least favorite Bolas art ever. So, and I have a Nicol Bolas commander deck, and I might need to get my hands on this judge promo if the backside looks cool. Yeah, the this art already looks menacing as hell. Um... I uh, I love it. But well, but Nicol Bolas the Ravager's front side is probably my favorite Nicol Bolas art. It's just like the front side is the best Nicol Bolas art. The back side is awful. Dude, his traps are huge. His traps are huge. Oh yeah, but Nicol Bolas the Ravager, the original one, is so good. Like I, I think I told this story before. I really wanted to try hard for the playmat, which was had him on for the store championship, and I won the championship before and after. And this one with the Bolas playmat, I lost because I played like crap and my draws were garbage. Probably because I was the playing bat was nervous because I really wanted to have this mat. <laughs> but I didn't want to buy it because I don't want to buy a mat that says champion on it without winning it, right? Dude, I I might even get this. I even but you know this is gonna be expensive because Nicol Bolas Ravenger right now is already It's already thirty bucks. Yeah. This is gonna be like a sixty, seventy dollar card. Worth. Um <laughs> so worth. Ooh, will it be foil though? Yeah, it's going to be foil, right? So it's a judge promo. Yeah. Oh, so the, I hope the foiling isn't crap. But anyway, the next card we're going to talk about is also a Planeswalker that we also saw last time we saw Nicol Bolas. So there is my crappy segue. It's Kaya, the inexorable. Let me start off by saying, where are the axes on her art? Like, there was this art from Kaldheim where she had, like, these, um, these uh, great battle axes and they looked super badass. And now she just has, like, two like poking sticks well she's always had those that's that's her signature uh thingy yeah but i want to see the axes the axes are going to be in the uh the garbage six mana planeswalker when they come out with that but anyway talk about what the card actually does is 
it's five mana, so it's three uh, white, black. Uh, obviously, legendary planeswalker Kaya. Starting at five loyalty and plusing up to six to put a ghost form counter. Nice, straightforward. <laughs> up to one target creature. It gains when this creature dies or is put into exile, return it to its owner's hand and create a 1 1 spirit creature token with flying. Very reminiscent of just the card Kaya's ghost form from War of the Spark. But worse because the card itself doesn't come back. You just get a 1 1 and it goes back to your hand. But similar idea. Um, the minus three is exile target non land permanent. Pretty good, straight up. Um, vindicates no uh, other end we all know this from um niftalite plays it and minus seven you get an emblem with at the beginning of your upkeep you may cast a legendary spell from your hand from your graveyard or from among cards you own in exile without paying its mana cost so you just get to play a legendary for free every turn which boils down to you win the game so planeswalker ultimates <laughs> This is the uh, classic Planeswalker design. It's at five mana, has a plus one. But um, there's, it's almost a standard design, which is why I immediately think this card's pretty bad. Most five mana Planeswalkers in their standard design has been plus one card advantage, minus three kill something, ult, I win the game. Mm-hmm. There is one very important one missing here. Card advantage? Yeah, because this requires you to already have a creature out, and that creature then becomes better at defending Kaya, which feels like the type of thing it's like, that's. do you really want that? Yes. Do you want to hear what deck I have in mind for this? Maybe you have a good idea. Oh, I have a great idea. A great idea. Esper Hero. Yeah, I can see it in that deck. Sure. Like, okay, so that, that type of deck. Like, look, you. this is not a card that you play in a control a control list because like, people might look at the minus three kind of thing, like, oh, that's, that's a good removal thing. But it's not in the same vein as like Hero of Dominaria. You know, so it's not going to fit in a control deck because, but in a mid range deck that values uh, or tries to value via creatures and, you know, just removal and spot removal in the sense that Esper Hero does, uh, this would be a great card as like a one or two of on the top end um, to kind of help along with that. I, I think it's really, really good in that kind of deck, but. It has to be in that kind of deck. This is not a card that you're just like, oh, it's a good Planeswalker. I'll just play it. It doesn't work that way. I mean, great great card to plus one following up your curve of Siege Rhino. If only Siege Rhino was playable, this card would be great. Yeah. But then you're playing Abzan and you're already at a disadvantage. So let's not do that. (laughs) But what do you think, Nameless? Do you like this card? I actually really like this card. And I think think there's definitely places to use it. I think... uh... You know, Brad, you make a good point about Esper here or, or a similar concept. And it's something we've we've seen in Historic a little bit, but just being able... It's it's green-white, I think, in the Historic version, but it's just like Legendary Tribal. And, but I think there's... I think there's definitely options in Pioneer 2 with just... I think there's there's Gideon's Galore. There's... I, I mean, even, you know, the, the mocks for it. And I think just being able to play just like a mid-range value type deck feels nice i don't know i i would have played this as a one of and kept this yeah i mean i i, I don't want to say i'm saying like I, I don't like the idea from like a power level perspective like i really miss sort of like the the more accessible card advantage right because this is card advantage that requires you to have a board 
which is generally not a thing I like in like five mana plays, where it's like, well, this five drop is good if you have a board. It's like, yeah, but that's that's like a steep hill to climb. I do like it in its design, because if this just said like plus one, draw a card, make a one one, it'd be boring as hell. Mm. Right? Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, we've seen this. So I like the design. Uh, the minus three is super powerful. Like it's one of the more powerful like minus to remove something we've seen ever. Uh, the exception is probably Hero of Dominaria because it's probably unintentionally doubled up as a win condition by ducking himself. Mm-hmm. But like from the perspective of removal, this is just super good, right? I mean, we're talking like utter end sees play in Niv Delight, which is a four mana card. This is five mana, and you get an entire planeswalker on top of your other end, which you can't tutor with Bring to Light. Still, and still two loyalty too. Yeah, but you can't tutor this with Bring to Light, which is probably the main problem that you'd have. Like considering that card for Niv Delight, is I would really like to be able to tutor this out, which is why other end is a one of. But in some value decks, I can see this. I guess, right. Maybe at the top, so like you can find some Esper Hero variant. Maybe you play some Abzan style deck. This is like a cool one-off, two-off. Yeah. Uh, or we can f- we can finally see Mardu come out for some reason. I mean, I'm I'm kind of joking with like, haha, this is a great follow-up with Siege Rhino, but it 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 really is though, right? <laughs> like like Siege Rhino isn't like a particularly good card. I'm not saying this is great with a Siege Rhino deck, but the idea of like you know, if you can follow your good four drop, you if you can now follow that up with a good five drop, that makes your four drop sort of better too, right? Because you you go into a more powerful curve, which, you know, when does it end? You know, you're probably not going to follow this up with a powerful six drop. But in that way, it's nice. But I'm seeing this maybe. I do, I do think the design is interesting. I, I like it. I like the card um, quite a bit. The only gripe I do have against it for its design and like what I really like in terms of like what I like in my gameplay, I don't like that in War of the Spark they started doing things like oh, but if your card gets exiled, you still get this because mm-hmm. they always felt like exile was the the way to go around things, just like uh, the God Eternals, where it's like if they die or put into exile, it's like no, if you exile a card, it's gone, right? That's sort of what I like in the absolute sense in the game. Uh, this comes from me being a uh, when I was younger, being a Yu-Gi-Oh player, where they introduced uh, remove from play, which was now called banished for people who still play, which is literally the same as exile. And they introduced exile, and two sets later we had synergies with things being in exile, and now exile just became a second graveyard, and I really hated that because I was like, graveyard is where stuff goes. And exile is where stuff like never comes back from. Mm-hmm. Sort of, you know, where like the graveyard is sort of fluid because we've seen it a lot with like graveyard synergy. But if you really want to deal with something, you put it in exile. You know, graveyard hate, exile's a graveyard. And I don't like the, I don't like them stepping their foot into like, hey, maybe we can do things with exile. And I'm like, no, stop it. Don't touch exile. It's perfect. <laughs> I mean, at least it's not super prevalent i mean for the most part if you exile something they can't get it back they need very niche kind of cards to make value out of that but i'm more worried for the future seeing this like please don't make this set a precedent right i don't want because kaya's ghost form does this now this kaya does it 
I don't want to see like the next iteration of Kaya having like minus three. You can cast cards from exile this turn. Like something like that. I don't want to see that. Okay, yeah, but that would be really cool because that I mean, that's a that's a very Kaya flavor thing. Oh, it's a very Kaya flavor thing. I just it's just a gameplay thing I don't want to see because I feel like if I cling to dust your card, it should be gone. I think like I think if it stays to just Kaya and or and I guess Ashiok in this case too is because it feels like an Ashiok thing to do. But I feel like if it stays to these characters, then great, fine. Like because it's it's very it's on theme. It's it's nice. It's like you know what characters want to be doing, and it's it it fits their flavor. I just don't think I don't want to I don't want it to be like everywhere. I think you're right about that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair one because Ashiok already does it too. So like yeah, if we can keep it to Ashiok and Kaya. I mean, like, okay, these cards do it, and then the God Eternals were, like, a one-off to sort of introduce, like, hey, we don't have just one card do this, because that would be very awkward. So, like, in War of the Spark, a bunch of cards did this, and now it comes back with Ashiok and Kaya cards, that's fine. But I, I don't, I want to, like, sort of, like, draw a, draw a line, right? I want to, like, make the statement, like, Wizards, please, no more than this, because it ruins, like, the in, like, an integral part of the game, in my opinion. At least the God Eternal thing was on flavor too because you thought they were gone but they're not kind of thing yeah but but here's the idea i don't want to, you can flavor cards coming back from exile very easily but you shouldn't <laughs> i don't know i mean generally like what exile <laughs> even like just uh, the word exile means like does imply you can come back right so but please don't that's why i liked how in Yu-Gi-Oh before they called it banished they literally just called it removed from play it was, I think, in I think in early Magic they called it that too. The earlier cards saying XL also say remove from play. Yeah, remove from the game because it's just gone, dude. Yeah, it was it was removed from the game. And then outside the game effects could bring it back. You could bring back exiled cards with wish effects for like initially. Yeah, because you could find a card from outside the game, and your card was currently removed from the game. The exile thing is weird though because like they're. You run a slippery slope as you make more cards that have exile effects as a positive, like the four mana saga we're talking about, or light of the stage, or uh, adventure cards from uh, from uh, Eldraine. These are all exile effects, but playable from exile. Now, I understand it's not the same exact flavor. It's like, oh, the, your opponent killed it, and then it goes to exile. But this is just the thing that it leads into, I guess is um, more things like that. Yeah, like things being exiled with like something like Escape to the Wilds, I feel like it's just like a necessity because there is no other zone to put it. It would be very weird if these cards said like put them in the command zone until the next turn. Yeah, they'd have to create a new zone and that just makes it stupid. Yeah, exactly. It's easy to do it because like if it's you exile it until the next turn and then now they're no longer just gone forever exiled type of thing. Yeah, what, what does make it funny is that the more of these cards we get that, like, exile till next turn, or something that is in exile but probably comes back, it makes processing cards, like, ever so slightly better every time. Like, we're going to see, like, um, is it, like, Eldrazi Nullifier, Wasteland Strangler? Like, there's a couple of Eldrazis that put cards from exile in the graveyard. And the more people are actually going to put cards in their own exile, the more these cards actually become maybe, like, usable. If we're going to see a lot of... Hey, I don't need this land. I can just dump it, it into my graveyard, you know? Yeah, but like, but if we're going to see like a lot of creature decks that like every other turn have random cards in exile, Wasteland Strangler suddenly becomes a really good card against them. 
because it comes down, exiles a card they can now no longer cast next turn because it moved zone, kills their creature and blocks a creature. Like, that's actually pretty good. And I do like those processing cards because they are interesting. But again, interacting with exile, always a little bit iffy. For Eldrazi, it, I guess it also makes sense flavor-wise, which is the slippery slope we were talking about. Speaking of playable cards, because Alex, you think this card is playable in one of your favorite tribes to ever exist. What card are we talking about, Brad? I was going to let you read it, but okay. It's Realm Walker. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read it out. I'll read it out. Realm Walker is three mana, two and a green for a two, three creature shapeshifter with the returning mechanic Changeling. This card is every creature type that we've seen on everyone's favorite land, Mudavolt. Um, as Realmwalker enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. You may look at the top card of your library any time, and you may cast creature spells of the chosen type from the top of your library. Now, it even kind of looks like it would, like, theme-wise, like you could probably consider this an elf. This looks nice for elves. Mm. It's the first one I'm drawn to. Um, it's already in the colors, right? Green. Green is good at generating a lot of mana, and being able to then cast from the top of your library is great. This is a... Uh, we've already seen this with... Was it Keeper of the Menagerie or something? From Amonkhet? Uh, it was, yeah, Vizier of the Menagerie. Oh my god. Which was a 4-drop. But this has the great upside. First of all, it benefits from tribal synergies, which is huge. And being a 3-drop means you can Coco it. Ooh. And for pretty much every green tribal deck since uh, I think it was Dragons of Tarkir, it's like the ceiling for a tribal card is three mana, unless it's something completely bonkers. So this now being three mana is like, and first of all, also being an elf, right? Like Vizier of the Menagerie isn't even an elf. I think it has some creature type that like... It's a Naga. It's a Naga, like whatever. Naga tribal doesn't exist. Uh, Wizard, I guess, but it's green. Naga Naga wizard. Uh, So, (laughs) we're not going to be (laughs) seeing... Yeah, Strixhaven. <laughs> we might be seeing some green mages. But going back to elves, green mana, uh, generate, generating a lot of mana is a very green, especially a lot of elf things, like elves, especially in modern. But you can get some stuff going in Pioneer, is really known for generating a ton of mana. What I have noticed in Pioneer is that there's not always much to do with said mana. So let's say you're playing a card like Marwyn, and you manage to make yourself like your Marwyn lives, you play two or three elves, you already have a lord, and your Marwyn taps for seven. And then you've got like one more three drop in your hand. Now, a card that I've been playing uh, in that is Lead the Stampede, uh, which is just three mana, look at the top five cards of your library, put any creatures in your hand. Nice value card, three mana. I'm just, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lead the Stampede is all. Yeah. Oh yeah, big, yeah, I was super happy because I already played it in Modern. And then it will spoil an Ikoria, and I was like, oh, yes. But this is three mana. It's a value card. However, it's also an elf, and you can Coco into it. So this is a value creature that actually still like does things for you. Whereas Lead the Stampede is, you know, I played this three mana card, and I do like take a turn off. And it might fit well into that slot. It also helps that green tribes, especially elves, again, they have a low land count. Because they play the dorks, and the dorks kind of, to an extent, substitute lands. Um, So your land count tends to be like 19, 18 lands if you're greedy. 
So the chance that you play Realm Walker and there is actually a spell on top of your library that you can cast is pretty high, especially if you trim the number of non-elves to be as low as possible. So, you know, this swaps for lead the Stampede, and your only non-creature is, like, Coco. Then you've got, like, 19 lands, 4 Coco, and 37 cards you could cast with Realm Walker. Like, that is a really good way to set up a lot of value, and probably a great way to start. It, it, it's experimental frenzy on legs, effectively. In, in those type of decks. And I, I think it's a great card, and I think it could really boost some archetypes. Kind of the same going for like Merfolk, which is also low land count, um, also in green, very cheap creatures too. So if you're lucky, and you like have six mana, play Realm Walker and just go one drop, one drop, one drop. And now you suddenly have like an army in a can. I'm, I'm very excited for this. I'm curious about the balance with this in in modern but i'm i'm really looking at this like definitely easily replacing me the stampede in in pioneer and what i'm looking to do in pioneer but like, like with modern i'm looking at it like i'm not entirely sure any i want of it i think it's great but it's odd in modern if we're talking about just elves i think this card is great because you can really go just completely berserk with heritage druid yeah, i i think that's an option yeah, because like all the new elves, you've got Nettle Sentinel, and I feel like if you go the one like a lucky streak there, you really just play like half your deck. But I think, as you said for Pioneer, the Lead the Stampede replacement, where maybe Lead the Stampede becomes like a two or three off in your sideboard if you go against Control, to just do have like this cast this, draw three type of effect that you're looking for. I mean, even like one of the cute things I've looked at against Control and Pioneer actually for elves is like Golgari Raiders. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was, I, was, I was like looking through the elves in Pioneer and I was like, this is actually really good. <laughs> Surprisingly nice after a board wipe. It has hate too. But like, I, again, I, I really like this card. I just hate you can't Coco into it. Golgari Raiders is great, but you can't Coco into it, which always makes me kind of hate cards. But, it, but again, just, you know, looking, looking at Realm Walker again, I really love this card. I think it's, you know, I think it's, it's going to see a lot of play. Yeah, here's a funny one. Um... So this is just a, a stupid line that came to my head. But what I've been looking at also for a, a deck like Elves is like, how do you finish? Right? What's your crater hoof? And you told me you were working like Andre's Forerunners, um, which I think is a card that makes all of sense. Um, I was personally more thinking of Decimator of the Provinces. Funny one with this is, if, you, if you're going off and like you hit your second Realm Walker, uh, is it Realm Walker? Yeah, your second Realm Walker, you can name it to be Boar. And then when you eventually run into your Decimator of the Provinces, you can cast it off the top of your library too and just sacrifice the Realm Walker that is currently a Boar because it doesn't have your Elf synergies. And you can do the same with, with Forerunners too. Yes. Yeah, true. But I think Forerunners is uh, Decimator of the Provinces discounted is cheaper, right? Uh, no, I think Decimator's Decimator's 10, right? Or is it... What's it's, the... Yeah, it's, it's, nine, it's 9, but with Emerge. So you can go like you can sack a three drop and get it for. I guess Andre's Forerunners is only seven mana, so six and seven isn't the biggest difference. Seven, and it also gives vigilance, which feels nice. So you don't like. Can we play Dredge's Dredge again, please? Because I I loved sacking my Gurmag Angler uh, Angler to uh, Decimator of the Provinces. For, oh my god, I love that deck so much. <laughs> that was such a fun deck. But now, if you want to play a graveyard deck with Prize Amalgam, you play Oops All Spells because. 
Uh, I mean, they do have a point with like Decimator or Endrace Forerunners. Because if we're running that card, and there's another elf in the theme boosters we'll talk about, which is more than three mana, maybe there is an elf deck out there that runs no cocoa. It sounds like heresy to me, but maybe there is an elf's list with Realmwalker and no cocoa. And you run like Fierce Empath to find like your end maze forerunners, and it just sets itself up to just have this sort of like, and maybe with a card like Marwin, and its goal becomes like these like, big lots of mana turns where it really sort of tries to mimic the modern deck the only problem i have with it i think that's going to be too many steps are you going to need to have too many things going for you to mimic the modern deck but that might be something that realm walker can open up every i I, i'm I'm a big fan of coco because sometimes you just coco into double shaman of the pack and oh yeah same like i said it sounds like heresy but like 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 i think i think there's yeah i think there's no real reason to go away from coco unless it Unless there's a there's a very large benefit to doing that. I think, um, and maybe before we talk about the last card for that was actually in column, we can quickly touch on this card uh, from the theme boosters um, because it was an elf that was spoiled, and this made me sort of think like it can't be hit by Coco, but it generates a lot of mana, and that's why I'm thinking you might want to go down that different route. And it's Canopy Tactician, and I am super sad this is a four drop. In like a slightly nerfed form, this could have been like such an amazing three drop, and elves would have been immediately like a playable, like competitive-ish deck. It's a four drop. Yeah, having another lord is helpful. Yeah, it's four mana, three and a green for an elf warrior. Other elves you control get plus one plus one. Uh, it's a three three itself, and it taps for three green. That is a lot of mana. Yeah, it's. But you can't go go into it. It's it's like bad elvish archdruid but elvish archdruid is so good that bad elvish archdruid might even be fine i am just very annoyed that this is a four just play the three mana uh lanor elves that's like three of them and it's a three three that's has for three <laughs> sadly that is in modern horizons i wish that was oh uh, yeah i wish lanor tribes was available to us maybe next year because this this is literally lanor tribe but it's a lord so you pay an extra mana yeah, I would rather this be a worse Land of War Tribe in the sense of being on curve and then tap for like two mana instead of three. Yeah, or be a two-two or something, right? Like I, I'm. Yeah, or make it a dude. Make it a one-one. Who gives a shit? Make it a one-one for three. If it were a two-two for three, hard. Like that. Like that's the other thing is like a one-one Lord is still fine. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm sad by the design of this card because I feel like they really missed the chance of just it's so close and someone at. Because, again, I was just talking about, like, maybe you do, like, this without Coco or something, but, like, if you need to build an elf deck that then doesn't use Coco, how much better has your deck become? Because Coco is one of your best cards, right? So mm-hmm. it, it really feels like they made this, like, small change, and they could have made it fit in with what the deck already does and actually make the deck better, rather than trying to be like, well, maybe you can take this angle now... And then your deck might just be bad in two ways, rather than good in one. And then it might be bad in two ways. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, you've got the Coco route, which isn't powerful enough, or you've got the no Coco route, that is not good because it doesn't run Coco and the card's crazy. It made me, like, really angry when I saw this. I was like, you guys were so close, right? I know know maybe Archdruid is too good for Pioneer, but can we have, like... 
arch ish druid. <laughs> Three mana priest. A priest of Titania. Yeah. Even with the Lord effect, like an arch druid would like an arch druid type thing would be fine. Like just generating that much mana. Yeah. Because that's what I'm missing when I play my Pioneer Elves. It's the large amount of mana that I can get in modern. Like, I want to run something like End Mace Forerunners, but like getting to seven mana is actually kind of a challenge. Because it's it's not as easy to get to without an Arch Druid, uh, because Marwyn is so much worse, right? Marwyn's fine, but like a lot of work, very squishy, not a lord, has to tap even though she grows really big, so you can't attack with her. I have an interesting idea for elves, though. You just go in a completely different direction. You run. Uh, obviously, Nameless said he's already, uh, or they're already running Deathrite Shaman. Um, so you could do that. But then you also go into, uh, you run Elvish Reclaimer. You run Glowspore Shaman. You run Golgari Raiders. You run Golgari Fine Broker and Azoni Thousand Eyes. And like even maybe Golgari Witch Ward and things like that, and just make it. A... Now you're just going into an undergrowth deck. Exactly, but then you also run your uh, your, which was a mediocre draft arc. Deck. Yes, but then now you do that, <laughs> and you also run your Elf Lords <laughs> for the extra synergy. So you run uh, Marwyn. Run gruesome and well, run Agadim's Awakening, right? Go for the full meme. Yes, and you can go into Jund and play Rada. Gosh. Great idea. And then also uh, you get Storev. We'll just play Lotus Field too while we're at it. You, you, you could. You could. <laughs> you can you can go Abzan and go Tulsimir. That's an elf. I didn't know that. <laughs> it feels like we're going into Legend Tribal at this point. Uh, Underrealm Witch. Uh, to uh, stop Brad's tangent about his ridiculous idea for elves. <gasps> Wildborn Preserver. <laughs> I am definitely excited for the... Like, even what I did like when I saw Canopy Tactician, it's like, they're going to put elves in this set. And I have been very excited about that because I have on multiple episodes called it, like, I love these original tribes, right? The merfolk, goblins, elves, zombies. Um, now in white, we're getting, like, warriors. Like, I like these sort of more standard-ish tribes. I mean, warriors isn't really a classic tribe from Magic, but the other ones... Cert. soldiers honestly but that's okay yeah the, the problem with the white ones is that they're so spread out right there's soldiers there's knights there's warriors and like it's really hard for them to overlap like i've so often tried to make like a knight deck and then i saw a really cool card i was like oh and like oh i remember that card that'd be great and it's a soldier <laughs> or like oh yeah i really need to go wide i know this card that makes tokens and it's like they're warrior tokens oh come on yeah but I am happy for seeing elves coming in, at least. But is there anything... Very excited to see more elves. Yeah, is there anything you want to touch on? Like Maybe something you want to see for elves before we move on to talk about the next, uh, the next like, actual call time card? I want to see a mana generator. And like, we, like we've said it enough times, it's just the, like, we just need a lot of mana. Yeah, we need a way to turbo out that end mace forerunners. You guys are on... You're on a bad tribe. Stop it. You're never going to get good elves in Pioneer. They're never going to print them. They're going to put them in Modern Horizons uh, 2 and then the Modern Horizons 7. And then we're going to get essentially more... Stop it, Brad. We're going to get more of these garbage uh, set theme booster elves that, that are going to be in uh, Pioneer Horizons. Congrats. You might be right, but I don't want to hear it. So, Nameless, anything you want to say about elves before <laughs> we interrupted you? I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to Modern Horizons, and I hope that gives me something for Modern Elves, but that's just, well, like, for here, we just, for Pioneer, we just need mana. 
You're just gonna get Hogak, but it's gonna be an elf. We need we we just need another one mana elf <laughs> with mana. Just I just want glimpse. We need Fintorn elves. Just want glimpse back. Ooh, glimpse. <laughs> Are we sure? What a glimpse is fine. Glimpse would be fine at two mana. I'm leaving it at that. We want Gaia's Cradle, but just for elves. That's mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that. I mean, there's growing rights of it, Lamok, but so slow, clunky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so slow. So, talking about another tribe, which we have seen in the past, but. It's definitely uh, an interesting one, but an expected one is Dwarves. And here we're seeing, it's actually kind of a double tribal card. It's Magda Brazen Outlaw. So it's one and a red for a legendary creature, Dwarf Berserker, going into another archetype that represents people with swords, which makes it really hard to brew around. Um, It's a 2-1. Other dwarves you control get plus one, plus zero. Whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped, create a treasure. Sacrifice five treasures. Search your library for an artifact or a dragon card and put that card onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. That is some power on that last ability. That is scary and breakable. Now, have you guys thought of any... I'm going to be honest, I completely missed the fact that you can also tutor an artifact because I've only been looking at dragons. And I wasn't left particularly excited. Can you guys think of any artifacts where it's like, man, I can't wait to tutor out this like nine mana artifact and just destroy people on turn four? Hmm. Or other thoughts you guys have on this card? Super excited to play dwarf tribal with you know seven dwarves and like the other dwarf lords. This <laughs> 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 seems janky as hell, but I want to try it. You know. <laughs> I'm not sure about artifacts. Like you can, you want to be able to have good synergy with treasures and stuff. Um, there are no artifacts that actually make treasures except for the Gleaming Barrier, which is the two mana 04 uh, wall that dies and makes a treasure. Technically treasure map. I have a fantastic idea. I just thought of it. And this, this, no, this sounds, this honestly sounds pretty cool to me. Obelisk of Erd. Do you guys know this card? No. This, oh my God, this is a good idea. This is a good idea. Let's continue. Obelisk of Erd. It is it's six colorless mana for an artifact with Convoke. As Obelisk of Earth enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures of the chosen type get plus two, plus two. Now, what if you play this creature? You tap at least five, but probably you tap six dwarves to Convoke this card out, because it's colorless. You tap six dwarves, Convoke this, get an Obelisk of Earth. Five treasures, sacrifice your five treasures, find another obelisk of Erd. And now all your dwarves have plus four, plus four. That's why I'm excited for, like, dwarf tribal. Like, and you just go, like, yeah, so you just go, like, your dwarfs, you know, do your aggro-y dwarf things. Let's say you go, like, turn one some dwarf, turn two you play a dwarf, turn three you play two dwarfs. Turn four, you play this lord with, like, one or two mana left, right? You play this lord, Tap all your dwarves for Obelisk of Erd. Second, find another Obelisk of Erd. And now your board is enormous. Like, huge dwarf tribal. And it's like... It's Apollo, too. Like... Yeah, and it and it works. I, I'm kind of getting excited for this, because I just had this idea with Obelisk of Erd. Because it's a card you can kind of want in the deck anyway, and it works. But you can also cheat it out. 
And it even like has the tap synergy. So it like really sort of cleanly fits in the deck. Because the main thing I was afraid of when I saw this card, it's like, you're going to put an 8-mana dragon in your deck, or you're going to draw it. And it's like, crap, I, I want to tutor this out. And it's, it's no good in any other situation. It's crap if I don't tutor it out. But this card actually, like, Urd is a card you can, you can just put four in your deck, right? Because you don't mind drawing them, but you definitely want to tutor them out. And I, the, other, the other thing that's nice is that even just for more mana is great. <laughs> like, the dwarves aren't really, the, the dwarves that we have aren't really haste creatures. So you can just, you know, tap for mana, play everything second main, like, dump your hand. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, especially like every time they tap, you get a treasure. Like, there's probably going to be more treasure synergies, right? We've seen it with another card in the theme booster, which we'll also be talking about. There seems to be a treasure theme tied in with the dwarves, which is very flavorful, right? And we've had other cards that generate treasures, like especially in like the past few years. The only exception, I believe, is the Iroan games. Every other card that like because there was golden treasures, and they've pretty much all been making treasures, right, for the past few years. So there already are some treasure synergies going back. From Kaladesh, we have very feigned dwarf synergies going back. And maybe we can like mash this together for a dwarf treasure obelisk of Erd deck? Question mark? I honestly have no idea what to do. But Darksteel Forge is one that I'm very curious about cheating out. Yeah, but then the idea is, what do you then do with it? What if you draw Darksteel Forge? That's a problem I've had with most of these cards, thinking about it, especially with the dragons. It's like, yeah, you can cheat out a Dragonlord Dramoka. And it's like, yeah, but what if you draw Dramoka? Isn't that how all combo decks work, though? <laughs> yeah, but then the idea is, like, so how many Atarkas are you going to put in your deck? One? And, like, sometimes you cheat it out and sometimes you draw it? It doesn't seem like the type of thing you can build a deck around. But an obelisk of Earth that you can draw or cheat out and just put four in your deck because it already works with what your deck wants to do anyway. And it isn't just like this individually powerful card. It already synergizes with your deck. And all that um, Magda does is just supercharge that strategy. I feel like that's a much more powerful way to build your deck than just be like, what big dumb card am I going to cheat out? Like, yeah, you could cheat out Meteor Golem on like turn three, which is cool. Do you care? I cracked it. I cracked it. I know exactly what cards you're cheating out. You ready? Don't silence submersible. Go away. <laughs> the thing is, Alex, that I that I want to that I want to slot at least at least two of in this deck is I think just two is like Throne of the God Pharaoh too. Well, that's nice. Again, especially because you're already. It's not even like you can cheat it out, but it's also just your cards are going to be tapped anyway because you're an aggro deck. Yeah, I think I think this deck is really coming together. I'm excited to see more dwarves. Yeah, something like Obelisk of Erd. Like, yeah, I think with like Obelisk of Erd and God Pharaoh statue, and then maybe if we get like one or two more treasure synergy cards, and obviously good dwarves, right? That's at the base of this deck. Like, we're memeing with seven dwarves, but if we have to put seven dwarves in the deck, it's probably going to end up being a bad deck, right? You know, if if we have to put them in, that's still fine. You know, like, like that's still, they still synergize with each other. They're still dwarves. And seven dwarves is okay, right? But like, come on. Dwarf tribal. <laughs> I forgot that they weren't just bears. They do, they do get bigger if you have more seven dwarves. So I, I guess that, like, kind of works. But I would say, like, if we're at the point where we do not have to put seven dwarves in the deck as filler, we might actually be onto something. Like, if we're going to have to put seven dwarves in our dwarf aggro deck, 
I think like I'm not sure if this deck is there because your first seven dwarves is a bear, right? Like, but if we have strong enough dwarves that we can not do that and still have a have like a deck that actually like has sixty cards in it and not like randomly runs changelings. Thorbrand is a dwarf. That's actually really great. Oh yeah, that that's true. That's terrifying. I like this. This is good. Getting your one and two mana dwarves and then topping out at Torbrand might be kind of funny. I'm just very. I'm not gonna go through every dwarf, but the main thing I want to see is how many do we actually have. So just Pioneer League. I just want to know like how many dwarf cards do we have? Because it's only twenty nine, and they're pretty much all from Kaladesh. So we are very low on dwarves, with like a couple from. I mean, we got... Oh, actually, we've already got eight one-drops that are actually pretty reasonable. One is a Staunch Shield Mate from M21, which is a one-mana 1-3. One, it's like... It's good. It's a pretty good rate. right? It's four, quote-unquote, stats for a one-drop. Because it's a 1-3, together like with your Lord, you play your Lord on turn two. This is a 2-3, and because it has three toughness, it can pretty much always attack and not die. So you can get the treasures off it. But you've got two craft exemplar, a one-drop dwarf, and let's say you go, oh no, that's the beginning format. That doesn't work. But like the treasures trigger your two craft exemplar because it sees artifacts on the field. This deck is coming together. I'm building this. <laughs> that's good. I will uh <laughs> I'm gonna order my obelisk of her. <laughs> we're 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 gonna try and brew something up. I I'm gonna like sometime this week or something, like uh Maybe if I'm like bored over Christmas, I'm already gonna see like what can we already do with dwarves now, and then like try and build a shell, and then we can fill that in as we get more call time spoilers. I'm this tonight, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'll get it. I'll, I'll get a draft up of this. <laughs> You're doing this, uh, yeah. By the time we're done recording, it's probably it's already one in the morning for me, so I'm not gonna do this after recording, but <laughs> I will do this soon. So if you have your first list, please send it my way. Rimrock Knight, good dwarf. You're going to run Captain Lannery Storm too. Veteran Motorist, but then you are in, well, you're already going to be in Boros anyway, right? And you're probably going to have some vehicle synergies too in this deck, so hey. Well, before they go down this rabbit hole much further, like Alex <laughs> already said, it's it's 1 a.m. for him. We have one other tribe to uh, talk about in a sense that we should be getting more of those later on in the year when we go to Innistrad. We are looking at Seralf, Realm Eater. Three total mana, one in the Golgari colors for a legendary creature wolf. So basically Fenrir, I guess is what they're going for. Yeah, it's supposed to be Fenrir. Um, it's a 3-3 three, three, uh, for three, which is nice. And then it says, whenever a permanent and opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on Seralf Realm Eater. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Seralf has one or more plus one, plus one counters on it, you may remove all of them. If you do, exile each other non-land permanent with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of counters removed this way. So it's a removal spell on a body. Well, it's more of a, it's like Blast Zone on a body, kind of, or Ratchet Bomb on a body, right? Uh, except, except this is actually the same or lower mana cost, right? Mm -hmm. rather than yeah rather than them being exactly yeah like how wretched bomb and uh it's more like um is it pernicious deed 
I think it's more like Prodicious Deed. Well, regardless of what it's similar to, what do you feel about this card, Alex? First first look, and we've, we've seen people whispering about it being modern playable. So how do you feel about it in Pioneer? Please do not put this in a scale stack. Like, it says the word 1-1 one, one counter on it, but, like, please don't put this in a scales deck. Because the moment you like, oh, yeah, I'm going to remove this counter from it, you exile your own scales. <laughs> like, it sounds like it. And, and all your constructs are all zero drops. Right, so there is no way to play around this in a scales deck. So it's it doesn't have a home there, right? This this feels like some kind of Golgari deck, right? Like maybe Chevelle. This looks like a mid range deck. This looks like a like a rock card. Yeah, like in a typical just the rock Golgari value deck. Um, Serulf is really sweet, especially because it exiles all other. So when you get three counters on it, it doesn't then end up killing itself. So. If you could stick this in like a value-y, mid-range-y, rock-style deck, I could see it being good in certain matchups. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine having this against like a white weenie deck. It's like nice, like, one-drop, also known as my fatal push becomes a board wipe. Yeah. I feel like I feel like we this could potentially be a home for Chevelle Bane of Monsters, too. Yeah, that style of deck. Yeah, like, you, the, the curve is nice. Getting just making sure your removal matters, kind of thing. And then, like, if you let's say you start, let's say they don't kill the Chevelle or whatever, and then you start putting your, your, uh, whatever bounty counters on your opponent's stuff, and then you finally sweep the board and they have like three cards of bounty counters, you just sweep the board, draw three. Uh, it does exile. I don't know if Chevelle triggers. Oh, when the cards it, no, it's on, it's on death. But, but here's like the, 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 the upside, right? It, let's say you play this in like a rock style Chevelle deck. Uh, Chevelle style Golgari deck. And you play this card, you go like turn two Chevelle, turn three Serov. And it's like, yeah, but once you put in a lot of counters and you activate it, you're going to like exile your Chevelle. And it's like, yeah, but if you have a three mana seven seven on the board, I think you're just happy anyway, right? So either this card just like sweeps your opponent's board at one point, or it's huge. Like it feels like both are pretty cool. Like I'd be happy either way, right? Like, I have this, like, one-sided Navarians, like, Navanriel's disc on the board. Or an 8-8 or something, right? Like, I'm greedy, and I wish this was, uh, I wish this card said, uh, instead of the counter thing, it was just like, yeah, every upkeep, you can sacrifice this card and destroy all other cards with convert a mana cost equal to the power of this card. There is, um, it's very similar to an old card from original Ravnica, which is Necroplasm. Uh, which was a a, well, a three mana one one. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a one one counter on Necroplasm. At the end of your turn, destroy each creature with converted mana cost equal to the numbers of counters on Necroplasm. Now this triggers in your upkeep, and it doesn't trigger on zero, which Necroplasm like Necroplasm would come down, and the first thing it would do is wipe all tokens. And this card doesn't do that, but it it works in a similar fashion dredge that's gross <laughs> yeah it, it was sort of like it just screwed over tokens it would just go like well because it is equal again so it wouldn't like it would sweep tokens once but then it would like die and you just dredge it back and play it again immediately it would sort of be just this, like this ever recurring board wipe the entire board would just constantly go like zero one two three zero one two three and everything would constantly be wiped of that mana cost didn't see a lot of play but it is a very cool card so is Sarulf. I love this card. I think it's super cool. I don't know if it's good. 
right? There's homes for it, but again, are rock-style decks good? Now, people talk about modern, like, are you going to put this in Jund? And I think, I guess you could, right? Can put this in Jund. It's good against certain archetypes. There's, I think there's places for it in modern. Yeah, and I think there's... there's I think there's a place for it in modern. I, I don't see this being big exciting in most formats but it's definitely a cool card i love the design yeah it's cool and in certain metas it's very good right again like if we're seeing like a lot of ores of humans and you're playing like your rock style one for one value deck and you're like yeah i'm just being overrun by these decks then you can put this in and sort of have like a semi board wipe in your deck that is also still a creature in matchups where you don't need a board wipe right that's that's nice it exiles it's always good Unless you're playing against Kaya cards, I guess, then Exile doesn't do anything. But <laughs> generally speaking, Exile is really good. Uh, and it's like the Fenrir card, right? So it had to be cool. If the Fenrir card was a, was a letdown, I think people would have been very sad. And I love the art of the original Fenrir, as well as the showcase promos, which, by the way, the showcase bordering on this set is magnificent. It's amazing yeah well i i am so excited for the future of magic if these are going to be how they're moving forward because they're just getting better and better every set yeah there's only one problem i have aesthetically with these things is that because they are so distinct and very fitting with a set on the one hand that's very cool on the other hand in this way magic is starting to like lose its um god there's a fancy word for this like uniformity or something of its art style so we're getting these and we had the ikoria promos which were very different, and we get and we had the the ones from Eldrain, and it's like at one point it feels like I'm playing five games at the same time, right? Because the art style isn't like like even like the way the cards are just framed and stuff don't like line up anymore, and I kind of like it when it's cleaner, right? And cards are a bit more similar in design because these are quite out there. I think they're super cool, but if every set is just gonna have stuff like this, then at one point it's like you show like someone your magic collection. Like let's say someone like doesn't play magic or just played magic and they go through your map and it's like, are these still the magic cards or have we moved on to something else? Cause like I know people who put like who play multiple card games and put it all in the same binder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a nitpick. I don't really mind, right? I recognize them. How do you do that? <laughs> and I and I think they're cool. I would do that all the time with Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic and Pokemon. Yeah, they also kind of lose their flair if we keep doing these, right? Now they're cool. But if this set has it, and Strixhaven has it, and Innistrad has it, and they all have something like this, it sto- it stops being cool. You know they are. Yeah, and then it kind of... Yeah, exactly, and that's my problem, because then it sort of like stops being cool. I disagree. Now they're super cool. I disagree that they stop being cool, because you look at games like Pokemon... Pokemon has amazing full art cards that will never stop looking fucking incredible. And it's been the same thing year after year after year, but I love them. Yeah, but they're full art. Yeah, these are, these are essentially full art without being full art. But it's more not for like what's depicted on the card, but it's for me like the whole frame and like the writing and like, I mean, especially for me, the most egregious ones are the Ikoria promo, the comic book ones. Also because I really didn't like them, but that's personal. Oh, I love those. I thought they looked awful. Just so out of place. Well drawn, but so out of place. And I feel like these are kind of subtle enough that it works. Especially because the art is still like fitting for magic. It's just the frame. That's a little different. But when you're starting like play with both. But again, that's a nitpick. I don't really mind. I think they look cool. I think there will always be people that will like the 
classic art's better. Like I'm, I think there's, I think like the extended art stuff looks super cool, but in most cases, I'm really just a big fan of just like the classic card format. And I think there'll always be people on both sides of that. Well, lucky for you, there's time spiral coming out next year. So you can have all your old bordered stuff all over again. Congrats. <laughs> now they have everything for something for everybody. Love time spiral. I'm so excited for that. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I, but I, I'm, I'm in the same team with the uh, same boat with Nameless. I am generally quite a fan of... We talked about it last week when we mentioned in the mill back. We talked about like how do you bling your deck. And I'm generally more like... I care more for maybe like an alternate art or like the Eliminate promo, which is like the black is a little bit different, but that they stay close to what quote-unquote a magic card looks like is what I'm generally a fan of. But yeah, it's it's cool to have something for everyone, right? Some people really like this. I know people who really like the extended art uh i'm generally not a big fan of border extensions and that sort of thing but some people are and it's cool that everybody has it now before we move on closing thoughts on Kaldheim. alex robin scale of one to ten how excited are you for this set coming out based on what we've seen thus far alex first yeah so i'd say i'm like a six and a half maybe a seven and that's more because we just haven't seen enough. I'm I'm always quite like late on the hype for a set. Like I can be super hyped like four weeks before a set comes out. But now I'm like, this idea, I think the main thing that like gets my excitement up is that dwarf idea we've had. But that's gonna fall flat if we don't get any good dwarfs. Same as like, oh, there's elves. That might be cool. Depends on the elves. Like once I see like three good elves and four good dwarfs, I'm like, yeah, I'm on. But for now, um, okay. The theme looks cool. The art looks great. Uh, it's a promising set. Oh, yeah, seven, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm somewhere in the eight to nine range. I'm just super excited about elves, and I think I'm always, I always tend to be excited about like new sets and stuff because I'm at heart I'm a brewer, so just taking weird cards and just trying to make them work is really what just something i just love to do so I, i'm always excited to see new cards and figure something out with them whether it's very strange dwarf tribal or even you know like what's what these angels look like you know let's let's see maybe it's terrible but it'll still be fun to try to build it but yeah we're on you know eight to nine i mean i think i'm probably still at an eight probably eight and a half um, that's about what my excitement was prior to the set coming out, and it's still there. So, I'm uh, I'm ready. Yeah, I, I would say, like I'm I'm at that seven, but the set has promised that this could be a ten. Like we could get like three days worth of spoilers, and I'm like, hell yeah, I'm on this. It's not like a set that I'm like I see like the first couple spoilers. I don't really like where the set is going. No, I love where the set is going. Yeah, I just have to see more. Normally. We would take this time to go over some Pioneer Perspective mailbag questions. I don't think we have time tonight. Uh, we're running a bit late for Alex, and I also actually have to... Yeah, if, if you have to go, then we can cut us out later. If you have to go, then we can go. I, I'm okay to do, like, some. We haven't talked about, like, the theme boosters a, a lot, though. I don't know if you just want to touch on those real quick. You had that vehicle you wanted to talk about? Yeah, we can do that real quick. So the last thing out the door that we want to talk about uh, with the rest of these spoilers is we mentioned that there are some in the main set as well as some theme boosters. Now, we're not going to go over all of them because most of them are just kind of fluff. We went over a couple of them. 
like Canopy Tactician, which is the four mana, three, three elf that is the Lord at three mana. Cool. Um, but we each had one that we did want to talk about specifically. Uh, I'll lead us off. Uh, Gilded Assault Cart is uh, three mana in red, one double red for a five one artifact vehicle trample and crew two. Sacrifice two treasures, return Gilded Assault Cart from your graveyard to your hand. This is going to be standard playable. I don't think it's going to be Pioneer playable, but this will be a deck in standard. It will be in a dwarf deck. It will have seven the seven dwarves in it. It'll have uh, the dwarf lord that does the treasure things just to be a dwarf lord. Um, and then it'll have other treasure synergies that we'll eventually see throughout Kaldheim to get the vehicle back. This is going to see play. I think this is a very good, very good card. Yeah, I'm... One thing that immediately that just came to mind, which I forgot, because now we're just talking about like the dwarfs again with Obelisk of Gert, right? Because it's a convoke card and you can tap them. What you can actually do, which I forgot about, is you can totally overcrew a vehicle. So instead of convoking to get it out, you could just have like, hey, this is crew two, but I'm just gonna crew it with 25 power worth of dwarves. Like if you want to, you can do that. Like on the stack, you just be like crew, 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 and that also taps all your dwarves, which is actually kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And it's also funny because I'm just imagining you've got this assault card and just 15 dwarves get in it. It's like a clown car. <laughs> it's like the clown car. That sounds incredibly <laughs> flavorful too. I'm getting excited <laughs> for this dwarf idea. It, it really works. Like it really sounds maybe like my hype has immediately like gone up to an eight now that I thought of this. Like this seems to like work right it doesn't just sound like dumb jank actually it actually feels like it'll be solid yeah just dwarf it's just gonna be clown car tribal or whatever we're gonna call it clown car tribal. <laughs> but the assault car is cool i i'm i think it's a, the mine shaft yeah we're gonna go down the, not down the rabbit hole we're gonna go down the mine shaft but yeah assault car cool. before before we go down this dwarf rabbit hole again or i guess this dwarf mine shaft Robin, do you have a card? <laughs> Robin, do you have a card in this uh, theme set bullshit whatever that seems enticing to you? Looking at a uh, Certland Elementalist, the five and two blue for an eight eight giant wizard. Um, as an additional cost to cast it, reveal a giant card or pay two. Whenever it attacks, you may cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand without paying its mana cost. I just, I just like this card in general. Like being able to place for free is very exciting. Um, it's definitely not good. I'm gonna preface, I'm gonna preface my uh, my comments with this, but um, I, I think it it would be super fun to just cheat out and cast some terrifying like large spells and in some lately that would be just interesting to cast. I don't think it's good by any means, but it's funny and it's also seven mana, so you could toss it in like the uh, the obosh. Um, oh God, obosh. Uh, like 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 the like 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 the Obosh Temer Adventures listens in, in like standard right now. Um but I it, guess. This card reminds me of Wildfire Eternal. But then the card itself is actually massive as opposed to Wildfire Eternal that's kinda small. Well you need to cheat this out somehow and then go for go from there. Yeah. Not good, but funny. Alex, do you have one? Yeah, so obviously aside from the elf lore we already talked about. Uh one card, and this is more like just to go with a certain theme. I really like the card Youthful Valkyrie. Um, two mana, one on a white creature angel. It's a one three of flying. Whenever another angel enters the battlefield under your control, put a one one counter on youthful Valkyrie. 
what I like about this is that they've taken, they've made Valkyr the creature type angel, which is now sort of a gateway into giving us cheaper angels. Because a lot of the angels we see are always expensive cards. And it's like, how do we make cheap angels? Now we had Segovian Art, Segovian Angel, I think it was called in Modern Horizons, where the flavor is on Segovia, everything is tiny. So that's why we can make this a 1 1. But aside from that, it was really hard to make cheap angels to make an angel tribal idea work. They kind of always start at three, right? Mm-hmm. At least three, but they're usually four, five, six mana cards. But Valkyrie, even like sort of story lore wise, can definitely be younger or less like sort of like impressive, like an angel can be, where Valkyrie can be a little bit more normal, which means the card can be a little bit cheaper, a little bit smaller. And that like sort of unlocks this archetype it sort of has solved a problem well quote-unquote solved a problem this archetype has always had and i'm happy to sort of have this archetype unlocked i don't even know if i'm ever gonna like build an angel tribal deck but i think it's representative of something really cool and clever they've done to not make this its own archetype not make it like valkyrie tribal like no we're just gonna call them angels just like what they did with dogs and hounds like yes dogs and hounds are technically different things whatever they're all dogs now like adding, you know, Starheim Aspirant, having uh, cost reduction effect is still very nice in, in Angels too. You know, I, I think it's definitely going in a great place. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm I'm excited to see where this potentially... It's a thing we talked about in the past. It's a thing that can get someone into the game too, right? If Angels is actually at least like it, it's workable, you can be someone like, hey, Angels are cool, right? You could build like Angel Tribal, just like how some people like zombies or some people like goblins. This is just another sort of like entry-level, easy-to-understand sort of tribe that someone can get into. And then you just top at Lyra and just one-shot people. Yeah. I mean, I loved Angel starting out. Like, it was something I tried to build, but again, it always it always feels slow. So this is this is super nice. And, and there's other cool cards, but I think we're just... Uh, we're fine leaving it at this, because a lot of them are either a bit janky, a bit slow, uh, very flavorful, but kind of bad. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is how the theme boosters typically go. Which is fine, right? Like, I want the good cards to be in the set. I don't want the set to be crap and then the theme boosters to be good because that's just inconvenient to get the cards. If the theme booster distribution is going to be anything like Jumpstart, it's going to be like five months before we can get these, uh, get our hands on these cards in Europe. So I don't pity you. <laughs> when the time, uh, the time when people in like uh, the North American area started talking like, wow, we really need our second printing of jumpstart we didn't even get the first like we got it like six months later or something stupid at least it felt like half a year oh (laughs) (laughs) wish you got it now kind of i've had some people open uh jumpstart boosters i didn't because they're really expensive but reminders out the door so robin as our special guest can you do us the honors of saying what this episode is brought to you by episode of the Pioneer Perspective is brought to you by the MTG at Home Discord server, where we get to play Paper Magic over webcam, in case you've been missing that over the course of this pandemic. Exactly. And last night, I went ahead and streamed Pioneer Paper on my Twitch channel. Haha, that was fun. We went one and two with Mono Black Vampires. It was, uh, you know, it, it was fun. But yeah, I'm hoping to do that every single week. Um, and Nameless, as our special guest as well, as you know, since there's two special guests, both named Nameless. Where can people find you should they want to dig deep into that brain of yours to understand what the inner workings of your magic-related mind consists of, or non-related magic stuff? 
me mostly um i'm on this discord server I, i'm on i'm on discord uh, just username nameless if you're on, if you're on the discord server that's where i'll mostly be uh it's more where you can reach me mostly i'm not on too many social media platforms but i'm pretty active on discord and even if like i have it on my phone so i'll see notification if you need me or just want to talk magic alex you know the drill where you found yes i'm found at at disciple of bolas on twitter where and this so far went unmentioned in the episode but we have to touch on it i have a new profile picture on twitter you have a new profile picture on twitter i do and it's the two halves of our new logo made for the pioneer perspective and it is made by i'm gonna be very sure that i don't mess up the name adriana katani thank you adriana katani who you all probably recognize from doing the art for mtg goldfish Katani made us a logo for the Pioneer Perspective. It is incredible. Like, I love it so much. It is so good. Like, I, I, I can't. Like, I can't. It's so cool. I love it so much. I'm so happy the moment I saw it. So when you're clicking on this episode or when you clicked on it earlier, do not be startled by the two handsome men <laughs> facing you on your screen. And then, and then there's Alex, because the two handsome <laughs> men are myself and Nicol Bolas. <laughs> but it, it, like I said, or like Alex said, it looks great. We're very happy with it. Um, I, uh, yeah, I love it. I love how it turned out. It looks amazing, and uh, cannot thank Adriano enough for uh, for doing this for us and helping us out. It was, uh, yeah, super awesome. Speaking of Twitter, by the way, you can follow them on Twitter. At, I think it's A Katani. Let me double check. Uh, A.M. Katani. A.M. Katani. So A.M. Katani, it's the same on Twitter, Instagram, all that. Recommend following them. Great artist. If you like the MTG Goldfish uh, thumbnails, you will like the rest of their art. And hopefully, you'll like our new logo. And of course, on Twitter, you can find myself at Bradsifer, B-R-E-D-C-I-F-E-R, Bradsifer, Lucifer, mashed together in one amazing inside joke. And that's the same for all of my other social medias, as always. Reddit, Instagram, whatever. Xbox Live. Xbox Live, yeah, that's another one. Uh, <laughs> Snapchat's the same. Uh, it's the same on the Discord. Am I missing anything? Any? Oh, yeah, Twitch. MySpace, <laughs> LinkedIn. Actually, actually I, have a, I have a couple of, like... Uh, third-party investment accounts that I use the name Pratt's for. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Twitch, update to my streaming schedule. We will be officially streaming uh, every single week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern time till about 9 or 10 p.m. And then every Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Every Monday, we will be streaming some Paper Magic as well. Um, which is going to be our Pioneer weekly event on the MTG at Home Discord server. Other than that, join us this Saturday for the Modern Invitational that will be cast by myself and Nameless. Nameless is casting with us on the Modern Invitational. I didn't. Even, I didn't even know this. I'm hyped. Super excited for that. I. Uh, I can't. I can't make it because in the Netherlands we celebrate two days of Christmas, so it is on the second day of Christmas for us, which I'll be uh, like spending time with. Uh, my girlfriend and i didn't really want to be like hey you know how we always spend time together on the second day yeah i'll be casting a magic tournament like i don't think that'll go down well so uh 
No. Now I'll just be watching on my phone. <laughs> I am casting from a hotel room. Oh. Because I have to go visit family. Fancy. Yeah. So uh, I'll bring a dress shirt and sweatpants, and then that's how I'll be casting. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, super excited for that. And uh, other than that, I don't think we have anything else out the door. Uh, also, oh, I guess uh, still working on the Patreon. I'm slow. I'm dumb. Now, however, if you do want to help support the podcast, you actually can support it currently through Anchor. So if you go through our profile on Anchor, which actually it shows up on Spotify as well, if you're on there in the description, there is an option uh, and a link to help support the podcast the same exact way Patreon works, except there's no tiers. Um, it's just... If anything that you yeah. can contribute is nice, uh, we'll get the Patreon up and running soon. But for now, if you feel generous in this wonderful time of giving, go ahead and help us out. We always use that for more equipment and paying our editor. Yeah, I think a thing we do want to point out about the Patreon, because you know I was a little bit like iffy about wanting to do a Patreon. I don't want to put any like major content or anything behind a paywall. Because at the end of the day, that's also not what the server was about. The server doesn't have a paywall either. You can go here, you can partake in the tournaments. The main podcast will never be locked behind anything. Uh, initially, depending on like what type of revenue or whatever we're going to get to, it's going mostly to pay for the editor. Maybe you're going to get something fun here and there, but it's mostly just if you want to support us. But don't expect this to become some sort of like necessary subscription for some content. We'll always be here for everyone to listen to because we find that very important for the podcast in general because it's in spirit with the server right exactly yeah the only thing that we ever have any ideas behind the quote-unquote paywall for a patreon would be gifts to you uh that we would kind of come up with and like go from there which alex and i have talked about it a decent amount we have some good ideas for that so we'll eventually get to that road when we come to it but for now like i said if you're able to help out in any way shape or form to help us better our equipment for recording uh, a software equipment uh, like mics and things like that, as well as helping us uh, keep our editor uh, paid and happy. Then uh, yeah, you can follow the link for the uh, anchor uh, support. But outside of that, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us this week and every week. Thank you so much for the feedback that we receive over on Reddit within the uh, discord server and the wonderful people that ask pioneer mailbag questions every single week. If we didn't get to anything this week, which we didn't get to anything this week, be sure to don't don't worry. Leave a question. Uh, again, no paywall behind that. All it takes is joining the server and you can ask any question you want, as long as it's not politically charged or at least, you know, badly politically charged, I guess. Uh, nothing not safe for work. And we, we all know what it means, right? Not not safe for work. If we have a question and we have an answer, we mark every question we answer. So we eventually get to answering every question. And with that. We love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Nameless, for joining us. Yeah. And uh, bye-bye. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>